Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today, at long last, we're continuing our tradition of closing out the year with a special panel where we discuss our selections of our top five films of the year. So today we're going to start by talking a little bit about a few of the films that we've caught at the tail end of the holiday in the beginning of the year before picking our top film industry news story for the year. And then we'll hand out a few special honorary awards for the year before naming our top five films. And joining me today, as always, the man who is set on every Almost every podcast last year, almost like let's say 99.9% of podcasts in 2023, he's still sitting here. He hasn't murdered me or abandoned me. He <laughs> is an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, my co-host, Laron Chapman. Laron, how are you? Welcome back. I'm doing great. Um, I'm like a kid in the candy store right now. I love talking about my year-end review with, with movies. So I'm excited to hear everybody's takes, and I'm excited to see people's eyes roll when I say mine. <laughs> <laughs> Lamar, was that a coded message of Wonka's your number one Wonka's movie of the year? My number one. That's what I wanted to let everyone know. Oh, here boy. And now. Kid in the candy there. store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so happy to have you. And guys, I just got to say, I watched, I, I I put in a lot of effort to catch as many movies as I, as I can, but I, I think Laron Chapman can't, almost, I, I think he can't be stopped. So uh, he, he has seen, we'll talk about it, but a lot of movies this year. A lot of movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, rejoining us today, he's the co-host of the Good Trash Genre Cast and Good Trash Media co-founder. He joined us on last year's show, and it was so much fun, we thought, let's bring him back. Dalton Stewart, welcome back to the show. Hi, Caleb. <clears throat> wow, I wasn't ready for that. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Caleb. <laughs> Hello, Caleb. Is that a coded message to say that Silent Night's going to be your number one movie of the year? I think it was Talk to Me. <laughs> I think it was, that was giving Talk to Me vibes. <laughs> So thrilled to be here. I love to make a list. Come on. Yeah, listicles. Agonize over my taste and ordering it numerically. Come on. For hours? Uh, it's the best. It's the joy. The joys of movie watching, truly. <laughs> <laughs> and last but certainly not least, she's rejoining us on the show. I think first time, if I'm not mistaken, since our Oppenheimer review. And this is the first time that she is joining us on our top five films of the year episode. Joe Light from No Film School and uh, occasional Cinematropolis contributor, Joe, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here just like everyone else, potentially have some eye rolls. <laughs> I doubt it. We can, I, doubt I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> just based on what I've heard already. No, no. Joe being as friendly as she is is a coded message that Eileen is her number one movie of the year. Okay. I think, yeah. Does everyone hate Eileen in here? I would, listen, I would Blind respect, spot. I would respect that, that <laughs> choice. Um, you know, all my issues with it, I, I still think it's a bold, a bold film, even if it has issues. <laughs> I, I might hate it, but I also, it does a lot right. I think that's why it, it makes looks. it so frustrating for me, because it, mm. it's doing a lot right, and it has a strong I haven't stopped thinking about aesthetic. Anne Hathaway, though. I'm oh, yeah. That. yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, I find my, thought, I find my thoughts often drift to Anne Hathaway, and what just what she's doing, what's mm. she up to, mm -hmm. reading a book, yelling yeah. at somebody, <laughs> I don't know. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about all of these fantastic movies and more here in a moment. But if you've enjoyed our show in 2023, and I know this is 2024 when this is publishing, but if you've enjoyed it in 2023, I wanted to know if you're listening to the show and you've enjoyed any of our conversations or if you enjoy this one, you can let us know by leaving us a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify Really, it's going to be the, the best way to support us heading into the new year, I must say. 
Okay, with that said, though, let's, you know, we, we got to make some small talk here. We normally break the ice, and there's been so many movies that have come out. Laurent and I talked about a few uh, on our most recent 2020, 2024 preview episode. So real quick, I just want to go around the tables and hear what are a few of the movies you guys have caught during the, the end of the year holiday season sprint, starting to my left, Dalton Stewart. Um, yeah, so I caught up with uh, the finished film Fallen Leaves, which I'm nutty for nice. uh, a late entrant in the top 10 uh won't won't be making the discussion today but a film i like a lot uh, i know this director's done a lot of films that are kind of in this the same vein it's the first i've seen but i know it, it's kind of considered part of his his proletariat series of, of just you know exploring working class finish life and uh, i can't i don't have the director's name right in front of me but i uh, really enjoy fallen leaves and strongly recommend it uh caught up with the uk film all of us strangers andrew scott paul mescal oh uh, J- Jamie Bell and, um, oh my God, uh, Claire Foy. Yeah, just everybody's really. Uh, a film that I was frustrated by the end of. I was on board. I couldn't have been more on board for yeah. about an hour and 30 minutes. And then for <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes, I was like, damn it. Yeah, the, the ending is a, and a, a, I've really, well, I, I saw this movie at like a screening like uh, two months ago. And I was like, I don't, I, firstly, I know how I felt about it, but I was like, but I also want to hear like what the LGBTQ plus community, the queer community thinks of this movie. Cause I was like, I found the, the ending to be such a harsh and cruel left turn. That's all I'll say. I'll keep it vague. But I was like, kind of like pulls the rug out in a way that it felt uh, just kind of devastating. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was supposed to feel that way. I get it. I understand. It's not an unrealistic ending. That's well. Like you will land with that. I'll, I'll stick with that. Uh, finally, <laughs> a, another film with a very interesting ending, an ending I like more, uh, American Fiction. Uh, a movie Ooh, yeah. that's like, uh, has a, a, a couple of endings, which is always fun. A, mov- a movie that struggles and wrestles with its own ending, I always appreciate. Uh, but yeah, Jeffrey Wright, man, come on. Crushing it. Just getting so to do a lead performance and like, just carry the movie. I mean, everybody, it's a really good ensemble. Uh, Sterling K. Brown is just like, Oh, his younger brother. Yeah. So funny. Incredible. Just totally getting to break out of his like golden dad. This is us mode and do something totally different. Um, yeah, I was a big fan. Those are the, those are three that uh, I don't have another window to talk about today, but you know, really enjoyed those in the, the end of year sprint. All excellent picks. Uh, highly recommend, uh, all of those. Joe light. What have you watched recently? To be honest, a lot of Hallmark. That is what my brother and I do when we go home. Like, we stayed up until 2 a.m. watching Hallmark movies and doing a puzzle, and it was great. Sometimes you just need, like, some some holiday films that are really bad. But uh, other than that, Wonka, I did did see it. Um, Very disappointing. I I did not like it at all. I I saw y'all's review on Letterboxd, and I was like, ooh, y'all are being... Very generous, <laughs> and I'm like, I cannot stand this. So, um, unfortunately, as far as movies goes, that's that's about the extent of it. <laughs> it's because the chocolate cartel is now a sponsor of the podcast. Mm, that's what it is. Mm, yeah, that's what it is, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, we're beholden to Miss Smutton. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, harmless fun. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Is it is it um, ideologically bankrupt? Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, is it like really just? such an awful crass nostalgia grab and goes for like the lowest common denominator. Yeah. I think part of what I was so disappointed by was Paul King's involvement. Cause you like the Paddington movies. I love Paddington. They're great. They're great. And they managed to do so much better in that sort of 
space that can be so cloying and saccharine and overdone. And I, you know, I think that's what I didn't like about Wonka was like, I didn't like the music. I didn't feel mm -hmm. like it was like genuine in the way that his movies normally are. And I wanted it to be more. Okay. Totally fair. Yeah. Genuine is probably not a word I would use to describe Wonka in any, any sense of the word, even though I, I had some good fun with it. I, I also never wish to watch that movie again. And you know what's interesting is I felt that way going into it. Mm -hmm. And I left surprised that I didn't feel that way. Yeah. But I mean, all the same, I, I, it's, I wasn't over the moon with it, but I was just happy I didn't hate it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I land with it. It's fine. You know, um, I also caught up with all of us strangers and... Craig and I watched it and both of us sobbed at the end. It did feel very, um, I was surprised how moved I was by it. I knew it was, I mean, I'm familiar with this person's, this director, uh, uh, Andrew Haig's films and um, Weekend is one of my favorite movies of the last like 10, 15 years. I can't remember how long ago it's been now, but um, so I was excited to see his take on this on this story. And it's, it's one of those things where I mentioned in my review that it is somewhat like there's some universal themes in it, but but it's also like oddly very specific about um, a very specific anxiety that I think a lot of queer people have. And some people um, in this particular case, I mean, without getting spoilery, um, is dealing with a very specific type of grieving, you know, something that is kind of reserved for a specific group of people. And if you've been through that experience and if it was a hard for you, then it definitely um, it just it just exasperated all those kinds of emotions. So I found myself about halfway through with just a lump in my throat the entire time, and I actually I'm surprised by people's response to the ending because I had heard I read your actually read uh, your letterbox and I've heard a couple of people mention the ending. So I was kind of anticipating on waiting for the mm. the, the the beat drop, and it didn't come for me. But and maybe that's because I'm <laughs> cynical. Maybe you're <laughs> but, like, oh yeah, this totally checks out. Yeah. Maybe I'm cynical, but I just I, I also found it kind of like melancholy and kind. It's devastating in a way that's like, for me, like that makes sense. You know, it makes sense. Craig yeah. called it uh, what is it? he called it, the sixth sense meets call me by your name. It's like that's <laughs> so it's like funny. okay, yeah, sort of, sort of kind of like I can get that. Um, but just this the idea about identity and not being able to. Um, like you just robbed of that experience altogether and never being able to have it. Cause it's something you, you anticipate It's something at some point, you know, we got to have this conversation. If you never actually got to do it, you know, what would that be like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and how would that affect you moving forward? Cause it really does shape you, you know, like the response you get when you finally say the words to your family and how they you know, how they react to it is the trajectory of the rest of your life really truly. And so, I like that it was mining with a very nuanced kind of, again, very specifically felt moment, you know, um, and lingering in that space. And I thought his, I thought Andrew Scott's performance in it was really, He's so really heartbreaking. He's so, so incredible. Yeah, always. Really enjoyed that. And then I also saw Anyone But You. Uh, less to say about that one, but <laughs> um, I'm happy that it's an R-rated rom-com. Look, we got, look, between that, Andrew, I mean, um, between that, Poor Things, and, um, you know, we, we got sex back this year, I feel like, in, <laughs> yes. in many different ways, in mediocre projects and great projects. It was in the movies this year. So I was happy to see that. Firstly, thanks for both of you for talking about all the strangers. Uh, it's just been one that's like I've been waiting to have on the, the show for a while. But the, it, I don't think it releases wide until the end of this month. It was kind of hard when I was doing trying to find the release date. Yeah. It was limited release. 
at least in certain states on the twenty mm-hmm. second of December. Um, I think it's the end of this month. Why? But uh, yeah, if, if folks are interested, check it out. It's really deeply emotional. Really love the uh, cinematography. Performances are exceptional. As you already mentioned the cinematography and the editing. I, I thought to be mm-hmm. pretty a plus plus. That opening dissolve is like oh, yeah. mm-hmm. holy shit, so good. The closing one too. Like the the, the closing not dissolve, yeah, but the yeah. closing mm-hmm. the way they frame the closing shot and the way it's edited and mixed is really powerful. I thought. In our last episode, I talked about the mission, which was made. Maybe interrogating the idea of missions and and what that that looks like in the year 2023. Flip flop, different documentary, Beyond Utopia, uh, which is about a missionary in South Korea who has kind of made it his purpose to smuggle people out of North Korea back into South Korea. And when I heard the premise of this, I was like, this is a really ambitious project because there's so little that we actually get to see and know about what happens in North Korea. And I thought the the documentary is really powerful because, A, if you don't really know what's up with North Korea, I mean, you, you've obviously people know it's a country, but like yeah. in terms of how did it get that way? What, what makes it such a scary place to live? What are the living conditions like? They do a great job at intercutting the history along with the very personal stories of some refugees that are trying to flee the country and our missionaries sort of working with them throughout and just really uh, incredibly emotional story, real world. You're, you're sitting here thinking, wow, this still happens on, on planet earth in the year 2023 that people are living with this sort of oppression and totalitarian regime where they basically can't think for themselves. There's no resources. And so many of them desperately want to get out, but they don't even know what they're escaping to. Anyway, a plus plus uh, documentary beyond utopia. Um, I need to check. I don't know if it's actually avail readily available yet, but uh, keep your eyes on it. I think it's going to be a contender for documentary at the Oscars this year. Um, an international film, uh, Perfect Days. Uh, this is from director Wim Wenders, uh, starring Kuji Yakusho, and uh, which actually I think it was it at Cannes last year got a nomination for best lead performance and I know it's Japan's submission to the Oscars for best international film this year it's about a guy in Japan who cleans toilets uh, so you're talking about uh, you know, the fallen leaves being about the middle class mm-hmm. uh, romance, so, so to speak. This is more like a slice of life in the in the in the day of a blue collar worker. What is what does he do? What's his yeah. life about? And it starts as kind of a nice sort of okay, this is fun. This guy is a fun character, and just seeing how he interacts with people in Japan is kind of interesting. But you slowly get introduced to other figures from his life, and you don't really necessarily get some complex backstory, but you kind of understand the status uh, status of relationships, how his career has um kind of put him as a sort of an outcast great little film there uh highly recommend that and lastly we're probably going to talk about this more in the fall or sorry the spring when part two comes out uh but i did watch rebel moon part one the child of fire the day after it came out it's definitely a thing <laughs> it's a movie it's a movie oh, it's a movie caleb it's <laughs> it barely feels like a movie it's two hours and 15 minutes of movie it's two hours and 15 minutes of it's derivative of like what every influence of Star Wars that's ever existed. And I, I wouldn't even say it's strung together like in a cohesive story. Hmm. Things just happen. And you're like, huh, what's going on here? And then frequently they are ripping off of things so blatantly. It's like almost you, you almost think an AI studied these other movies and made this movie because there are sequences. I was like, this is <laughs> ripped copy paste from Star Wars, but looks more generic and lacks any of the context that made it remotely interesting. Yeah. Like several times. Yeah, there he's not hiding that he reskinned his seven samurai Star Wars pitch. Like it's 
That's it's just that movie reskinned, which yeah. is really interesting. Zack Snyder, I'm just listen, and and I'm not going to say I'm a Zack Snyder defender, but I do think he's a talented director. I like a lot of movies he's directed. That guy needs to stay away from original material. It's been bad. I mean, Sucker Punch was terrible, and then we got um, was it Army of the Dead. I kind of like Army of the. Dead. It was okay. I had yeah. I liked it a lot more than this one. I'd say yeah, same. it was it was more funny. I felt like the. The kind of the, the visual gags worked a lot better for me. And it also definitely feels like half a movie. Where was the, <laughs> we're in the middle of like act two, I think. And I guess there's also going to be a rated R director's cut air quotes. Yeah, um, he, he likes to bait those, man. I think once part two comes out, I'd like to do a full review on both of those movies or the one movie that's super long. I don't want to knock it too much. I, I know there's probably people out there who, who enjoyed it, but uh, I was pretty, pretty underwhelmed. More on that. I have a friend that went kind of went for it. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't have watched if it wasn't for his kid. It's sort of one of those. But okay. Yeah, he's he's sort of in the bag for it. That's cool. Couldn't be me. Yeah. Yeah. Those are a few things that we've been watching for the end of the year. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the film industry at large in 2023, and more specifically, I, I thought it would be fun just to kind of now that we have a little a little bit of distance, or at least we're at the. Oh, through the end of the year, we can look back and see what were some of the trends or news stories that maybe made some big headlines that might inform, you know, where we're heading in the future. The big one we will, we're going to talk about first before we all share our own news stories is the strikes. The Writers Guild of America strike ran from May 2nd to September 7th, uh, 27th. So that's the 148 days. And the SAG after strike ran from July 14th to November 9th, which is 118 days. Not an insignificant amount of time. Uh, Lauren and I, in our, our 2024 preview, talked about it a little bit, about how there's probably going to be less stuff. Um, with that said, though, actually, I'll turn to you, Joe, first. Uh, what like sort of impacts are you expecting to see in 2024 as it relates to the strikes? Yeah, I think we were kind of talking about it before we started recording in that it might be a really good time for indie film to kind of step in and film fill that gap, hopefully. Maybe some of us among this this group right here stepping in. Hey. Laurent is waving his hands in the air. I am. Uh, yeah, I think I think these moments are are good moments to sort of step back and understand that the model isn't working. It's been very frustrating to me, at least for like ten years. So, mm-hmm. um, and we were also talking about how things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is is sort of petering out, and that's also something that has been frustrating me for for many many years. So. I've been crossing my fingers for that sort of like 1970s gritty resurgence again. And I'm I'm just continuing to pray every night. Please, can we get back to that and see all these little gritty films come up? Uh, so that's what, kind of what I'm hoping to see. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's a good point. We're in an interesting time. Uh, the best case scenario is we get another 1970s. Uh, Dalton, what do you make of the, uh, the strikes so, uh, and what, what we can expect to see next I mean, year? I think Joe's right. I think we definitely are going to see smaller productions sort of fill a gap this year. And, you know, hopefully that's good. Like, you know, hopefully smaller productions make more money than they would have otherwise made because they were able to get in theaters when these larger studios, you know, were not able to. Obviously a lot of, you know, A24 and even smaller studios had sort of waivers because they were willing to give actors and writers what they wanted. So maybe some some of those projects that are going to come out are, are going to be interesting. I, for one, am hoping 
that it means that the Alex Garland Civil War discourse will be dominant. That's all we'll be able to talk about. Oh, no. Everyone will see Civil War. During an election year. During an election year. Right. Uh, I'm having, I'm so excited. I look forward to the season finale of America. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, they always leave us begging for more. Is this, so is the movie going to play like a previously on uh, before the, uh, the the season finale? Is that, is yeah, that what it is? Man, I, I'm so it's excited bold. for this movie. But it's, it's, it's going to be like the only action movie in, in the that, spring yeah. and that's in the spring so yeah. it's kind of got it's kind of got like a big runway out in front of it mm. next year's big christmas movie that's going to make all the money is going to be nosferatu cannot wait mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. robert eggers is going to become the next Listen. christopher nolan let's go <laughs> but uh caleb i'll do it for you i'll break my brain reading all the civil war discourse nice. yeah no please do because i i am i'm very much looking forward to the movie i am agonizing over the thought of the discourse around that movie <laughs> has anyone seen that trailer like in the theaters not in no. the theater yet i, I want I to I did, oh, yeah. yeah. How, what was the vibe? Um, quiet, silence, <laughs> unconfusion, befuddled, yeah. like so. But I'm, I'm sure I saw it with a pretty conservative audience. So, yeah. you know, but I but I turned to Craig. I was like, we both go, oh, it's pretty good. We're the liberals in the corner. Just, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> the way they did the boys in the boat. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Civil War. Sounds like we're all on board. Laron, what, I'm here for it. what do you think about the, the impacts we're seeing from the strikes? Yeah, I think uh, just echoing what everyone said about I do think that it's, it's a good time for indie films to shine. And I'm. I'm I'm excited about that because I've definitely felt like some of these bigger tentpole, you know, um, franchises have kind of just sucked the air for decades now at this point. And so the gyms are having a hard time, you know, those smaller gyms are having a hard time fighting through the noise. And it's like it's kind of like the universe's uh, cinematic pandemic where it's like everybody needs to just calm down and just recalibrate. And let's you know what I mean? Like in reflect on life and think about the things you know what i mean so it kind of feels like it's just purging that for the time being and we'll start thinking about things that we value the most which is like quality art film and and so yeah i'm excited to see that i'm excited to see more more of a of a splash in that in that demographic mm -hmm. so yeah yeah all about uh getting more visibility to lesser seen projects and, and i hope they actually make money is the, yeah. is the big thing it's doubtful any one of them are going to make as much as a, an mcu movie would have mm -hmm. but you know if you get like four or five of these things and they all make a really solid uh box office returns then it's a win and in a bigger way i think too if you look at it like with those films not in the way then they're going to actually see what audience are taking to and this other, and they might be able to right. utilize some mm -hmm. of that. And like, okay, people will go see a movie like this, the movies that they they don't normally give a chance to, um, because I think too, like we're saying, like with the Marvel films um, this this year that didn't do as well as we thought they would, and even Disney like didn't do as well as we would have assumed. It just came would. out today that uh, Universal actually beat out Disney yeah. uh, this year for top uh, box office growth. That, that audiences are cooling on these things, and it's time to you know, do something fresh and new, you know, maybe that, that this will help that help springboard that process. Thanks uh, all for weighing in. Uh, let's talk about more, maybe a little more specific in terms of news story of the year. So when we think about news stories, I mean, it could be a really specific news story. You know, you could be talking Barbenheimer. It could be video game adaptations being successful. It could be everything everywhere all at once sweeping the Oscars. That's sort of, those are just a few examples. I'm, I'm not sure what you guys picked, but like, what would you say when you look back at 2023 as a news story that really stood out to you uh, that think you think you'll yield some big impacts and uh, Laurent, I'll start with you. 
I'm pretty biased on this, guys. You know my love for Scream. My love for the Scream franchise. You thought We thought it was bad losing Nev Campbell, and we're like, oh, what are we going to do without her? And then Scream 6 wound up being a banger, being a banger, one of the most successful ones in the franchise. And, you know, carved a path forward for us. And then it's just... It's the it's kind of like the th- the curse of the third movie because Scream Three had the same the same issue. This new trilogy is having an issues with their third project, you know. So, where you know production issues, and so now we've lost two of our leads. You know, now they don't know what the hell they're gonna do. We lost a director that was probably had the sweetest gig in town as a horror director, and then all of a sudden it's he like, said it was his dream job that turned into a nightmare. Yeah, wow. so I, I didn't I, see that. I just don't see the path forward for that franchise, and frankly, with the good streak they've had, I don't want them. I don't want whatever movie they're gonna cobble together to try and just make it happen. Mm-hmm. I'd rather them just call it a wash or wait wait several years and try again later. You know, because. Yeah, it's 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 not looking good. It looked really ex- exciting there for a minute, but now it's looking like it's just not going to happen. So that was a personal tragedy for me. I don't know how many people were affected, but I mean, I was, Scream I, fans are pretty. Scream fans are crying. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. on I'm on the Facebook pages. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're grieving. It was a rough day online. Yeah, it was a rough cut. Multiple yeah. days, and it feels like it could have been avoided. This is one yeah. of those ones where yes. I, we want to get into the politics of it, but it's just like this. Definitely feels like they. Spyglass fucked themselves with this with this particular yeah. with their choices. So. I don't think yeah. I, now I don't think as uh, fans you probably don't trust Spyglass Entertainment with the f- any with, future with movies. the property at all. It's like just give it away. You clearly don't care about that base, so just give it to someone who's going to do something with mm-hmm. it. We're not going to be getting a, a Scream Seven anytime soon, or at least not one that we're going to not the one that we want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, great call out, Joe Light. What new story stuck out to you this year? Uh, you had it on your list, I think, but the. The importance of physical media, I think, was a big one for me um, and how it can just vanish. Like the platforms will pull it. They won't give you an explanation or the licensing, whatever, runs out. Um, so just being able to own the media that you that you actually think you own and, wanting, yeah. and like when you want to watch something, being able to pull it out. I think that's something that has been relegated to sort of like more nerdy circles and you have to have the space and the storage and all that to, to keep a bunch of DVDs or Blu-rays. But I think it's so important. Like I think at the time it was like RoboCop, like no one could find RoboCop. It's on now on places, but like he just, you couldn't just go to a shelf and pull it off. if You didn't have it. Mm. Um, The fall for me, which is a Tarsum movie. You can't find anywhere. So I'm like so grateful. I have a DVD of that movie. Uh, Dogma is another one. Because uh, yeah. Harvey Weinstein owns the rights yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's a big one. I think that I will carry forward. Buy those movies. <laughs> yeah, I know for real. I uh, so this was technically last year, but it does lead to, to mind. I was talking about the the streaming future is not the, the 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 streaming future of our dreams is not the not a reality. It's mm. not profitable. But um, sort of related was just the idea that we could have a whole catalog online. I stopped buying stuff just because all the reasons you mentioned and I'm like, well, I've got a digital catalog, but guys, you don't own it. Even if, if, yeah, even if they you leave, own, it leaves, if, you, know, if so. you own, even if you own it on Apple, you, you're not, you don't actually own it. You own the right to watch it, but you're if something, renting, yeah, you're renting the space uh-huh. still, still, you know, like, and then on streaming services, there are things like, uh, mostly with TV, but it applies to movies too. uh, Disney pulled Willow, the TV series, the Artemis Fowl movie. I mean, I'm, I hadn't seen either one of those. I don't know if either are any good, but I know there's a lot of Willow fans out there and it's like, yeah. whoop, now you just, can't doesn't exist you can't watch it anywhere and you all know i'm a purist when it comes to like physical media i've spent way too an ungodly amount of money every year on physical media i have no space for it my mom's house is the extra storage for all my my dvds and blu-rays but 
Um, but but things like Best Buy, we learned about that this year. How they're now consolidated. They're they're taking out physical. Mm -hmm. the, I yep. think this year, right? Like yep. uh, the the yeah, Q twenty twenty four is the they're the going to stop they're... selling mm -hmm. physical DVDs, and I'm like, oh, that's that feels like a nail in the coffin because that's one of the one of the places I frequent to get them because. Walmart and Target have gotten harder and harder to get content, new content. For sure. When it comes just at the time when it's like, oh, because I know I've started because of all that. I've been buying way more. I started buying stuff again last year. Like yeah. a lot of the my favorite movies of the year I picked up and I've been reinvesting in Criterions. Yeah. So it feels like it's happening right at the time that I'm like, no, yeah. please don't go away. I took you for granted. <laughs> yeah, go to your vintage stock or your local trade store, trade in stores and get all the media you can because that's probably going to be the hub where you can even find any of this stuff anymore. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating too because there are some Netflix films you can't buy. Yeah. yeah. And I would buy them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm still waiting on the glass. I mean, it's not going anywhere, but still, Glass Onion. Mm -hmm. I, I, why, I am shocked Ryan Johnson hasn't pulled some string to get that out on they home finally video put yet. Power of the Dog on Criterion, so I bought yeah, that, that's, but, but yeah, that's a if, Netflix movie. If he so. doesn't get picked up by Criterion, yeah. Then it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, you won't see it. Del Toro did get uh, Pinocchio on Criterion. I saw that. Yeah. yeah I haven't bought it yet, that's but exciting. it's uh, high on my list. Yeah. Uh, well, Dalton Stewart, how about you? What is your top story? Well, this was year? another one that you sort of uh, pitched to us as a potential one we could talk about, and I'll keep the uh, the A24 discourse going man everything everywhere all at once my beloved film uh you know did uh it dominating at the Oscars unleash uh, a wave of backlash that was already simmering sure that's that's fine though that's, that's, that's every movie at the Oscars that's every movie especially when a movie becomes a big crossover hit but it's so exciting uh you know it's just it's Give and take, push and pull every year with the Oscars. For every moonlight, there's a green book. You know, it's just it's you you can never pin these dipshits down. Uh, but <laughs> every once in a while they really make you happy and, and make you think, okay, maybe we are heading in the right direction. And I, I think it's just an interesting pick. You know, it's it's a an indie film that ended up becoming a crossover box office success. It's, you know, kind of heralds a uh, career capping performance from a, a couple of screen legends. Uh, I mean, it's it's just, there's so much going for it. And again, I think it poises, we were already talking about what's coming for smaller films in 24. And it definitely sets up A24 at, you know, they now have two Oscars under their belt and the, the, the domination continues. Like they were just running a business model that works a lot better than the larger studio model. So uh, hopefully it, it bodes well for, you know, this, this new, new Hollywood that I think all the people at this table are, are, itching for well it's just like joe's talking about whenever the studios are going to start freaking out who they're mm -hmm. going to go to they're going to go to the the top talent and say make a great movie make, just to make a good movie just make yeah. a good movie that people want to see oh they loved it. everything everywhere all once made how much money on what kind of a budget do that again do that again mm -hmm. yeah yep. it's a good model yeah and i i had to like check my ego a little bit with uh every everywhere all, everything at once because i it was my number one movie the entire year Same. and as soon as people started loving it i felt icky and i felt <laughs> dirty and i was like no this is mine you can't have it everyone can't love this no mom you're not allowed to love it you don't like weird movies you know like just <laughs> yeah. like you know what i mean but at some point i just had to give in to it like that kind of happened a little bit with parasite there was a crossover where broadly appealing to a lot of people but mm -hmm. i felt less it was still a foreign film, so I felt less like, you know, um, I'm less icky about that. But with everything everywhere all at once being just kind of beloved universally almost, even with it being as weird as it was, it just felt like, man, my number one choice isn't as sexy this year. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It does, it does make you feel like, oh, man, am I just... 
damn, do I not have eclectic taste? Right. Am I messing up? <laughs> so there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Number one is you can look at it that way. The other way is you can look at it as I was on the forefront. People like me are the reason my mom watched it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I wrestle with this a lot because it's so easy to fall into the hipster. Like, I loved this before you knew what it was. But like it, I almost put Tar as number one just to just <laughs> mm-hmm. just to be that guy, even though it wasn't my number one. But it was my number two. You know, so I was just like, well, you know. Well, also on this podcast, we did all sign. We all of four of us, uh, Daniel Bokemper sitting in the other seat last year. Uh, all of us uh, unanimously picked everything ever all at once as our number one movie of the year. And it was great to see that. The Academy also voted that way. I don't know. Not that we were right. There's no right or wrong when it comes sure. to movies, but it just, it felt like everyone was kind of on the same page about it being the best movie. I just love it when people love good movies at this point. The streaming one was my big one. A couple others I just want to throw out. One, abusive people still suck. So I'm speaking <laughs> specifically about mostly Jonathan Majors really breaking my heart, our hearts. Uh, after we spent a whole podcast talking about how great he was in Creed 3, only for uh, us to discover he was actually uh, not the best person. We were so blind. Look, 2023, was. we were so blindsided. Everyone was predicting uh, Dune was going to be super, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. then, then the strike. Everybody, magazine dreams. Magazine yeah, dreams. Time last probably year. just yep. never going to see it. Yep. No, I was already ever. calling Jonathan Majors one of the front runners for the Oscar. Now I'm like, oh, he won't maybe make a movie again. I don't know. Um, and then lastly, just really quickly, I did want to mention the video games adaptations taking off um yeah. not necessarily my i'm just going through these because i think they're important especially video games with, with comic book movies sort of showing diminishing returns super mario brothers movie making truckloads of money uh, over a billion i think right and then uh five nights and phrase huge hit bad movie From, huge hit was on streaming you know day and day mm-hmm. and still crushed it for weeks multiple weeks and uh, brought out the younger audiences, too, which is great, because yeah. I know there's been a lot of panic about Gen Z not liking the movie, going to the movies, but they showed up big a lot time. Of hand-wringing. People love to hand-wring about young folk. I know. <laughs> Tales all this time, yeah. right? Make something cool, they'll come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then we also had Last of Us, which is a TV show, but the reason I mention this is I just think Hollywood's going to start looking for what is the next <laughs> form of IP we can mine. There's mm-hmm. a, there was just today there was a announced that Jack Black is going to play Minecraft Steve in a Minecraft movie. So, I mean, like, it's coming, guys. <laughs> we're pivoting from comic book movies, and we're probably going to see a lot more video game movies. I'm not necessarily sure it's going to be a good thing, but it is going to be a thing. Well, like comic book movies. We'll get some great ones. We'll get some stinkers, and uh, I'm here for all of it. Stay tuned. Let's move on to our special awards. This is only the second year we've done this, so I guess this is our second annual honorary awards category. Uh, we're going to go through these are not we're going to name films that aren't necessarily our top five, but really do something interesting to set themselves apart. And we're going to start with our first special award, which is the This Could Only Be Made in 2023 award. And this is uh, the award for a movie that's release only seems possible, acceptable, relatable, given the unique conditions of our society in the year of our Lord, 2023. I guess last year's year of our Lord, whatever. Dalton Stewart, what is your pick? Well, I, I sort of was kicking around Rebel Moon a little bit, but we've talked about that enough. And maybe I'll come talk about the Scar Giver with you and really get into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, subtitles on these movies. Anyway, hey, don't, who was the child of fire? I still don't know. It's uh, Sophia Patella. She's uh, the child of fire. Did they tell us that? I think I got enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the child of fire. Okay. Uh, but instead, speaking of hand wringing over young folk, 
uh, it's got to be no hard feelings. Laurent's already alluded to this. We finally got sucking and fucking and all the rest back in the movies. We did it. After 10 long years of superhero dominance. We, yeah, thank you, Caleb. There we go. Wow. <laughs> thank you. I feel so honored that the soundboard came out for that. Uh, yeah, and, and I think no hard feelings is such a good because of it being like a cross-generational friendship movie and because the discourse around sex scenes in, you know, traditional films has been largely a, a, a you know, millennials and Gen X versus Gen Z sort of discourse. I thought it was a, a very fun movie to kind of look at a conversation that's been happening o- online a lot without it feeling like the movie was online in that annoying way that often happens. You know, I don't, I don't need to look at a Twitter feed while I'm watching a movie. And I don't, I feel like no hard feelings, like sidestep that entirely and still was about sort of this conversation we've been having. And, and again, like I had a friend point this out. It didn't even click with me when I first saw the movie, but you know, also kind of highlights the age difference between Jennifer Lawrence and um, the, the male lead in that film, whose name's escaping me. That's like the age difference Jennifer Lawrence was working with, you know, in Silver Linings Playbook, American mm-hmm. Hustle. Mm-hmm. So it is sort of like does make you think about our the sliding scale with age differences that we we sort of have, mm-hmm. you know, depending and upon the gender of the people involved. The double standards. Yes. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. So it's definitely like that's got that going for it. Again, like, you know, just a, a solid raunchy rom-com that, you know, managed to do something a little different. Uh, I think sticks to its guns as far as being a movie about sex, but, uh, you know, also being a movie about relationships and friendship and like committing to that ending and not needing everybody to be paired off and, you know, in a platonic or platonic or romantic relationship by the end of the movie. Like just a solid film that, again, I think is kind of about some stuff that's been a, a hot button issue for the last you know 18 months or so. We definitely don't get movies like this anymore. So it's no. kind of I, I like your, your, you're bringing back uh, the raunchy rom-com, but uh, as applied with uh, the sensibilities of 2023, I think that's a really interesting angle. I still haven't seen the movie, so I'm, I'm it's glad pretty to hear good. That, yeah. It's pretty good. And, and like, again, as you said, like bringing in 2023 sensibilities, like it does it without feeling like it's like, but we promised we made a woke movie, you guys. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's pandering to any kind of audience. It is just trying to make a, a broad hit. Still sincere, too. It is. Yeah. yeah. No, it definitely lands the sincerity, which yeah. I think is the ultimate test of a movie with a pretty, a pretty funny premise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And good to see Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence in a different light again. Like, yeah. Cause she can do a lot of things. She's funny. She's funny. Yeah. yeah she's I actually... mean, sitcoms is like where she came up. Like mm-hmm. let her, let her cook. Come yeah, on. Let her cook. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's an, an incredibly 2023 movie. Great selection. Joe light. What is your pick? I think for very similar reasons, I pick bottoms. I know that we, nice. we talked about it, I think around dead center, right? But yes. I hadn't seen it at the time. I missed it when it was, here same uh so yeah i love that movie and i think it's just a really silly femme gay like everything that i want in a movie that has never been seen really like of a feminine fight club Mm -hmm. um, with marshawn lynch give it to me (laughs) yeah so funny yeah so i i love that movie it's not in my top they they gave us our american pie that's how i looked at it yeah American Pie is for a very straight male audience. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was oddly like my my coming out movie. And so it was mm. nice to have the, the yeah, the yeah. counter, the counter version of that. Yeah. For sure. But it's I think in a very similar way, wasn't preachy. It wasn't mm-hmm. like woke, even though it sort of leaned into woke things. The progressive politics. Yeah. 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 Um, but it wasn't like, look at how woke we are. Yeah. It just was silly. Yeah. 
yeah, so I really liked it. I love the aesthetic choices, like small things, like the fact that the football players are perpetually in their yeah. uniforms. <laughs> um, it, it, I feel like if I was in my a teenager and I watched this, it would definitely shoot to the top of like movies I watched like twenty five times. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. LeBron Chapman, what is your This Could Only Be Made in 2023? Well, I feel like our guest actually picked two really excellent choices, and I'm sad I didn't think of either one of them. But Because um, I went with a pretty, I feel like a pretty obvious choice. But And this movie, I think, would have been successful in any any year in the last 10 years that it would have come out. But I think it was particularly successful this year, and I'm talking about Barbie, mm-hmm. um, because of where we are with, uh, politics and around gender, politics around um, feminism, politics around women losing Roe v. Wade, you know, like just a lot of things, the Me Too movement, like so much has happened in that particular demographic that I think that Barbie found a really fun way to interplay and have those conversations, but still make it palatable for a broad audience. Because I've heard some from many people that I would assume would hate it because I'm like, oh, they're not, I mean, they're going for it with the writing. I mean, the mm. word patriarchy gets, you can do a drinking game for the number of times it gets said in the movie, but um, oddly conservative audiences actually didn't hate it. You know, I mean, I mean, don't watch Fox News, but generally speaking- Conservative women didn't hate it. <laughs> conser- oh, fair enough. Conservative men, but well, yeah. I just saw overwhelming support for it, even in pockets and demographics I wouldn't have expected to like it. And I think it's because they did find a way to have their cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Like make it be, yes, is, does it, is it selling toys? Yes, but it's also saying something. It's also funny, you know, and um, yeah, it also has a message, you know, if you if you look for it, so. It's a big uh, cinema, air, uh, capital yeah. C cinema, like in terms yeah. of its production design, score, music yeah. numbers, it's got all the things. It's a yeah. big ideas movie in, in, a, in, in a movie you wouldn't really expect ideas to be in. Absolutely. You know, so. True. so I'm gonna go with one that I was, Firstly, I'm not going to say this is the best movie. I'm saying it can only come out this year and be as effective as it is. And Dalton, speaking about movies that feel like they're just a Twitter feed, but released in the year 2023, mm-hmm. I'm talking, of course, about Craig Gillespie's uh, Dumb Money mm-hmm. uh, starring Paul Dano. Now, here's the thing. This was what I would consider a victory lap, air quotes, for the uh, game stonk craze in that I, I found myself cons- consistently entertained. I thought the way they Gillespie was able to visually realize internet culture, like the deepest trenches of internet culture mm-hmm. was really interesting. I don't think the movie has anything particularly new or compelling to say more that that was a whole very weird thing that happened mm-hmm. at the tail end or actually middle of the pandemic. And it was sort of a, a moment where we could all like look around and say, that was really weird and silly, right? And like laugh about it together. Um, in that, that happened, movie. right? Yeah, yeah like that happened, and yeah, it, it sure did. And and what a world, weird world we're living the ex- in. The experience of watching a movie that's nostalgic for two years prior to when you're watching it is like bizarre, really odd. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait, I, I remember exactly where I was when this thing happened, and or I remember reading about this thing yeah. somewhere. It's just interesting. We're also still chasing the big short dragon, which is yes. chasing the social network dragon. It's just like <laughs> kind of a weird. But I, again, a movie I kind of like. But mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. Like, not a total success, but is very very of a, of the time of the time and I, I think if you release it in five years it has like no impact like it, people mm. are like why are we still talking about mm-hmm. it that sort of thing because yeah. I, I, I mean as it's gets that harsh I don't really think the game stonk craze is really going to be something as as revolutionary as they try to pitch it in the movie mm. and as the people who made a lot of money off of it perceive it I really don't think it 
ultimately is making a huge splash in terms of how Wall Street functions, actually, yeah. which is why I found the ending in that movie and the way they summed it up to be kind of uh, hollow. But, he likes uh, the stock. He likes the stock. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our next award, which is the movie I didn't get award. Now, this is, of course, inspired by the film spotting SVU podcast, <laughs> Long May It Rain, uh, in, in our memories, uh, where we name a film that was either beloved by specific audiences, by critics, or the box office that you personally did not get. The I didn't get, you could could come from a lot of sources, but what's the movie you just felt like you were totally out of the loop on? And Joe Light, I'll start with you. Oh, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna start some fights. Um, for me, it was May, December. I just felt that movie was so cold, and I'm also not a big fan of him. Mm. Laurent has his shirt on right now, so that's why I'm <laughs> <laughs> like gesturing at you. Um, I, I, hmm. I don't know how to how to phrase this. Uh, I was talking to my husband about it, and I was I gestured to him what I did was his movie just isn't like mm, like he wasn't like didn't embrace me. I felt like very distant from that film. Um, and I just thought parts of it were unnecessarily silly, and I thought the acting was great, but I have no desire to watch it again. So That's sorry good. to everybody. That's okay. <laughs> hey, it's totally allowed right. to like what you like. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're all allowed and to. And I'll make my case later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, happy, I'll happy try. I'll do my best. <laughs> I want to hear it. And this is exactly why this award exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I think that's tough. I May, December is one. I mean, uh, Dalton and I talked about it mm-hmm. along with Nick Sanford and Christian Thurkelson uh, on, on the Good Trash uh, Garbage Shoot episode. And I really dig it. I don't like it as much as you do. But I, I definitely like it a lot more than Joe does. And it's definitely a movie you got to be like mm-hmm. vibing with that movie or it's just not going to work. And I get the coldness, though. That's, that's yeah, a fair that read. That is a definitely a fair, a fair read. read. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, uh, Laurent Chapman, what movie did you not get? This movie should have been tailor-made for me. The title alone. It's A24's first musical. Mm. Uh. Dicks the musical. Mm. Guys, two gay guys who are pricks that find out that they're twins, that they don't look anything. It that makes no sense. It's not supposed to make sense. And I I thought I this would just be my jam. I just knew this was going to be one of my, like, one of the ones I'm going to be defending at the end of the year because I know they were going for it being irreverent and going over the top, and they definitely do. But I found it boring boring in its in how much it's just throwing everything at you that all of a sudden you become so desensitized to everything and that nothing's entering interesting or exciting anymore um and the issue i had with it is the two leads in particular i know they're supposed to be playing assholes that is the point you know but they should be interesting assholes though like assholes you want to like watch do asshole things you know and i just found them grading from the first five minutes and I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. I'm glad this movie's 82 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, like, so there are a couple of instances I will say that are pretty inspired. I do think that, um, oh God, I should know this. I'm going to have to take my gay card away. Yeah, um, Nathan okay. Lane, Nathan <laughs> Lane and Megan Maloli, um, are great as the parents. They're funny. And there is a bit here with the, you, I mean, I'm sure a couple of you have seen it at least. I would rather the movie be about them. If it was just about the parents and that situation with his, the, I'll just say the sewer boys, they're in the trailer. So, but that whole bit to me worked because it is really outlandish, but there just wasn't enough of that kind of inspired, you know what I mean? Um, 
kind of humor that to to work. The rest of it felt very flat and just profane for profane's sake. There's no mm. wit. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just gross. You know, so it it was a hard watch for me. You know, uh, and by the time I got to the end, I was like. I need somebody to tell me I'm being a prude because <laughs> I, I know I like weird shit. I know I do. This should be working. This just didn't vibe with me at all. And um, and a lot of people liked it, um, surprisingly, from the, pe- the exchanges I've had with people. So, so didn't saying, get it. Didn't get it. Sometimes it just doesn't click, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. Well, Dalton, what's your pick? Well, maybe I'll start a fight. <laughs> Let's start a fight. Bites? Yeah. <laughs> I know what it is. I think I know what it is. I think you do you know it, it's across the spider verse. Did you know it was oh, that? Oh no, I didn't oh, know it was no. that. Interesting. Wow. I just I like the first one. And I a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Astonishingly beautiful film. Like I cannot overstate that. That does not a complete movie make. That's true. And I don't like a movie that says, if you don't get raised by your hero cop father, you become a criminal. That can eat my entire ass <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> and you can't be like doing BLM and pro queer politics and then still be pro cop. Like the, you can't be all of these things. You cannot be all things to all people across the spider verse. And it mm. just feels like people are lining up to slap down money for half a movie and like, it's half a slop. Movie. it is such half a movie. And like, I was, you know, we talked about this when we talked about Dune two years ago, we, you know, we kind of went back and forth. Like, you know, it, it's kind of got like a, a soft ending, but it, it does feel like it like coalesces into something. Not once during Across the Spider-Verse did I feel like I was getting anything resembling like a co- an arc for anyone, anything that like coalesced into a whole, yeah. ah, a movie I'm very frustrated by. Like I want to like, I want to be more on board. I want to have fun. Everybody seems to have fun with this. I want to have a good time. The animation was stellar. It's yeah. so pretty, dude. And the score from Daniel Pemberton is money. Yeah. my top. It was my top the score. The voice of the year. performances are good. Like yeah. I think everybody shows up, knows what movie they're in. Like it isn't phoning it in. I think Schwartzman's really funny as like as an antagonist that gets entirely dropped until he needs to be set up for the next movie. <laughs> well, you've introduced some ideas that I hadn't thought about when I saw it, and about having all of those things at once and. Some of them contradict each other. Right. I didn't really think about it that way. Um, I, I did like it quite a bit, but my issue was with the last 15, 15 20, minutes, mm-hmm. 15, 20 minutes, because it feels like there was actually, for me, a really definitive yes. way to conclude this movie and yes. leave half the other movie to come out later. And instead, they decided, well, we'll just give them a 20 minute preview of the next it's movie. Bizarre. And the momentum for that just crescendos, and then it ends mid-sentence almost, you know? And it's yeah. just like... It's literally in the middle of a scene. Yeah, it's the middle of a scene. Yeah. So that felt, that's where I felt a little like, you know, that's knocked it down a star for me. So it's just that, yeah. but I, I, outside of that, the ride was so much fun. The ride is a lot of fun, but, I'll admit that. And maybe I got, you know, me and my friend got each other too gassed up about its sort of mealy-mouthed politics, but... The other criticism that I, I think about a lot was Thurkelson, uh, who's on our May December episode. Uh, the Letterboxd review they had was just make a two and a half hour long movie or make a movie for children. And I that's that's a criticism I stand by. I mm-hmm. I understand what they you know, I wouldn't totally go to bat for that take because there's plenty of Miyazaki movies that are creeping up on over two hours that I think justify it and like still manage to be something that would engage a child. But yeah, that's that's a movie that's just got too much on its plate. I think it does have a lot on its plate. I I, uh, I agree with Juan, and I have rewatched that movie a few times already because uh, it's very easy to rewatch. And I I stand by. I, I think there's like there was like two different points where I'm like, if you ended the movie right here, I think you got a full movie. 
and it works. It's like a, it feels like a part one and part two, but it's a clean ending where I'm like, okay, you're going to do this in this movie and you're clearly going to set up this other thing in the next movie. And it doesn't do that. It's yeah. very, mm-hmm. it's, it was very, very weird. It's kind of uh, like choice. just this, when you, with the seasoning, you know, it's like it had just enough salt and then you put just one pinch more and now it's too salty. It's yeah. too salty now. And now I can't, all I'm tasting is salt now. That said, I love the movie. And uh, your criticism about the politics is, I think that's very fair. It's probably a bigger, larger problem with Miles Morales uh, conceptually as a character because he That's is yeah. he is all of those things. That's part of his deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his dad yeah. is a cop, but he's also in Brooklyn, you know. And there's lots of Black Lives Matter imagery that's cropped up yeah. since 2020, for example. I do want to rewatch it with the lens that you've just said because I haven't. And I, it's it, you know, it wasn't it's, it didn't creep stickers up on, on backpacks and stuff. It's not like the film is like super overt about that aspect of its politics, but it's just like, and and again, like it's it's Oscar Isaac's is leading this like multiversal fascist thing and it's got spider punk who's like i'm political not really but maybe i don't know uh, it's 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 just like it keeps maybe having ideas that, that don't get to get there's a couple movies this year that i'm like what where, what are we doing with all these ideas that don't turn into anything i i loved it i i maintain i agree it's a half a movie and how great a movie it will be it, it turns out to be will depend very large on uh what happens with part three my selection is Maestro, and uh, you know I just I've been trying to hold to hold back on this podcast for so long. I'm not going to go too long, but I will just say this: Bradley Cooper. I'm not a big fan of A Star Is Born, the film. I uh, but I love him as a director in that film. Uh, that there's a whole lot of reasons for it. It's not my genre. There's some weird ideas about suicide in that movie that I, I don't. I'm not super crazy about. Um, but the performances were great. The directing was great. The music was great. So I'm watching uh, A Star Is Born. I'm thinking, okay, Bradley Cooper, I see you. I see you. You can direct. I can't wait to see what you do next. And what does he do? He does Maestro, which is a biopic film that I, I quite was intrigued by. I saw the trailer. I'm like, okay, looks like Academy Awards bait, but we'll go in with an open mind and saw it at a screening and had a moment halfway through the movie. Where I was like, uh oh. I don't think I like this movie, uh, which is not a good feeling when you're halfway through a movie that you really want to like, where you're like, uh oh. It, it's really biz- bizarre because it's a, a biopic where I don't feel like I actually understand it, the subject character, Leonard Bernstein. And you learn a lot about his marriage with Felicia, as played by Carrie Mulligan, who I think is fantastic in this movie. Mm-hmm. But you don't really get inside the character, what's going on in his head, what makes him a great musician. There's all these things that, you would think in a biopic it would be able to sell you on or convince you of. Everything feels very surface level. So I don't really feel like I walk away from the movie understanding anything about Leonard Bernstein. On the flip side though, the aesthetics, Mm -hmm. the direction is extremely confident. The production design is outstanding. The music's phenomenal. So just from a, a sheer like production quality perspective, it's outstanding. It's an achievement. But, you know, at the end of the day, I walk away feeling like, well, Bradley Cooper did a lot of really flashy acting and he showed up. You can see it. The effort. He learned how to conduct. So I don't want to say that he didn't put in the work. He has put in the work. But at the end of the day, the movie just is ultimately leaves me wondering, what was the what am I supposed to take from this? And, you know, the movie has been divisive. There's a lot of critics who are head over heels for this thing. There's others who are a lot harsher. It seems like the Academy, we're in, we're in a really interesting point in the Oscar awards race where I'm really curious to see how this film shapes up in the narrative. But I can tell you that Bradley Cooper is campaigning like his life depends on it. <laughs> and people seem to be really into it. Yeah, Maestro, good movie, 
Not a great movie, and certainly not a movie I, I hope wins any awards. Although, I am very hopeful for whatever Bradley Cooper does next. And maybe if he does get an Oscar, that'll liberate him <laughs> from the chains of having to win an Oscar so he can go do something <laughs> wild. But uh, yeah, Maestro didn't really get that one. Let's talk about that later. Oh, snap. Okay, let's move on to our next special award, which is the movie they didn't get. So this is the movie that you loved that maybe other critics didn't get, maybe the Academy doesn't get, maybe audiences didn't get. And Dalton Stewart, I'll start with you. You know, I was going to give this to The Killer because of all the times I saw it called mid, but we did like over an hour on that. You People mm-hmm. can go listen to our episode on The Killer, and I've talked about it a bunch, so I, I decided to pick something else, and I'm going with Leave the World Behind, a movie that I almost didn't watch because I saw so many people talking shit about it, and mm-hmm. I was like, well, this can't be that good, and I... Dustin and a couple other people like were actually like, no, I kind of I kind of dig that one. So I was like, all right, let's go in. Let's let's make up our own mind. Yeah. What are people talking about? This is a very thrilling film. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> talking about the discourse war that will happen over civil war, like another film about societal collapse and a, uh, you know, a precariously positioned United States like I a really interesting film and you know fun uh, the camera they oh yeah Sam Esmail can't stop moving that damn camera he's <laughs> just flipping that freaking and the thing deer oh my god the deer it's like there's so many deer there's so many deer. I still don't understand that I, okay, I'm not gonna lie I, I understand everything ex- I, I could rationalize everything except the deer I still don't quite understand <laughs> they're the just deer. ominous I don't know what I, but, but they are they are terrifying. they know something we don't know that's what I saw <laughs> that's same, same. Uh, I did go back and forth on how much I liked the deer now, mm-hmm. the look of how well they were composited into the scene. Yeah. But I'm I'm pretty forgiving on that kind of thing usually. Sure. Performances are great. Yeah. I mean, oh, the ways in which it's like, I'm as big of an asshole as Julia Roberts is in that movie. You never feel like anyone is the bad guy. You, yeah. you understand everybody's point of view. You like understand why she's leery about folks in her house. And you definitely understand why, uh, and Mahela, is that how you said that actor? I never, Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. understand why she's so mad, like, yeah. and is not having any of what Julia Roberts is putting out. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, everybody like has a a really good reason to, for where they're coming from. Uh, it's just like pulse pounding. It's over two hours, and the whole time I was locked in. I was absolutely on board with it from start to finish. You know, there's some weird stuff, sure. Uh, and again, you know, any film produced by a former president that's just that's just weird. I don't. I don't know what to do with that. That's, that's, that's real 2023 stuff. I don't. I don't know what to do with that. Uh, Does make it feel like a movie that could only be made in 2023. It also, yes. it's definitely a movie that you watch and you're like, oh man, what do the Obamas know that I don't know? A lot. Right. For real. A lot. But he's like, this is what we need to produce. We need them to see this one. I'm like, <laughs> right? Oh boy. I'll say. That's uh, scary. And you know, Joe's talking about the importance of physical media earlier. A movie that. Yes. It's about the importance of physical <laughs> yes, media. It is. There you go. In many ways. Uh, Ironically released exclusively on Netflix. That's right. <laughs> hey, any movie that uh near the end Get credits those has, has a, he- a hero shot of the Buffy box set. That's right. Like, Let's go. That's right. Uh so yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I, I don't understand why people hate this movie. Joe Light, what movie did they not get? I don't know that this is necessarily like a movie that isn't liked. I just know it didn't do well at the box office. Um, Bo is Afraid. Mm-hmm. I've returned to a couple of times, surprisingly. Like, I think at the time when I watched it, I was sort of like, meh. But I've grown to appreciate it as the time has passed. And Dalton, you're, you're nodding. I'm, I'm very pro Bo is Afraid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it made like $11 million against 35 is what Google is telling me. So 
did not make any money at all, which I'm sad for Ari Aster, but I just think that he did something really ambitious and unexpected with that movie. And I think Joaquin Phoenix is so good that it has a lot going for it. And I think if people walked out of that movie, hating it, maybe give it another chance. Having seen it once would probably be helpful. I think it's worth watching once. Absolutely. We had a really lengthy conversation about that earlier this year or sorry, last year, (laughs) Uh, last year on the podcast. And it's, it's definitely, if you, if you're into what Ari Aster's putting down just in general as a director, you you owe it to yourself to check it out. You might hate it, but it's worthwhile checking out. Definitely deserve to make more money than that because it's a bold, bold swing. LeBron Chapman. I had a slash and I had Bo is Afraid as my second option if oh, someone yeah. else said it. So thank you for giving me a chance to do the other one. Um, Origin is one that virtually no one saw. Um, has it been real? Well, to be fair, it hasn't I, I been released think it's yet. It's released no. here. The, yeah, so Not even just Oklahoma. It's like I think it's only been released in, in the, okay. a couple of markets. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is obviously Avery DuVernay has done so many interesting projects, some less interesting ones, Wrinkle in Time. I'm looking at you. But <laughs> um, but I think she's such a compelling she, – she presents information in such a compelling way, academic information that's really hard and dense and complex and finds a way to make it palatable in storytelling elements. And so – I feel like this movie is it it exposes all of her strengths and all of her weaknesses, but everything is so interestingly constructed that I'm like, you know, even when it's not working, it's still not working in interesting ways because she's taking a very complex concept of like trying to compare what racism is versus what the caste system is and merging and basically saying that really these like one is a symptom of the other. They're not separate They're It's one. It's one thing. And in America, it looks like racism, but it actually is something else. And it's a very compelling um, thesis for the film. But as with it being such a complex story, it was really interesting to see how she's decided to find a narrative way to to realize some of these ideas. And she does so with flashback sequences and interesting, like, you know, like it is about the author, but it's like also like things that her concepts in her head being materialized in in historical ways. And it's kind of. Just really fascinating how I'd like I'm compelled to read the book now to see like how it all comes together. But the entire time, the thesis is so compelling that you want to keep you want to keep getting soaking up more information because she has such a, a a very complex perspective on something that I'd never considered. And the framing work, starting with being about uh, Trayvon Martin, and I was like, well, I lived through that, so it's kind of interesting how she's connecting things from the past to that moment and so very compelling and then Anjanu Ellis who a lot of people came to know a lot more and King Richard a few years ago um, gets a starring role and she's been around as long as Viola Davis so it's nice to see her in a starring role and she's really good in it so yeah very nice uh, great shout out and again listeners I don't think that film I, my understanding is I believe I need to fact check this I think it's coming out uh, for a wider getting a wider release in February of this year if I'm not mistaken um, but uh, yeah keep your eyes open for origin hopefully the independent theater near you will be playing it later this year um, I don't know mine's way more simple I don't I don't know I, I thought Bo is afraid was a great choice I'm saying Dungeons and Dragons and they being general audiences I think this movie was a crowd pleaser it was super fun it was nice action comedy throwback to a time when the jokes were built around the set pieces and they would spend so much time building these meticulous action sequences that were ultimately leading to a joke uh i thought <laughs> it was a great time it was it, yeah there's not a lot going on there it 
it's it's an action comedy. Great cast: Chris Pine, um, Hugh Grant, just playing sleazy con man character. <laughs> it's from the guys who did Game Night, and I, I thought if you know if you're gonna make a Dungeons and Dragons movie, this is the way to do it. Make it palatable for wide audiences. And the thing is, I think if you, most people. If they watch it, I would say average audiences would probably enjoy it. I feel comfortable pitching that movie to almost anyone who likes action comedies. It's just one of those where it had the misfortune of coming out the week before Super Mario Brothers. Mm. And I think that just totally sucked up all of the attention of people who were... There was a lot of overlap in terms of the demographics for that. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. But it, it was a great film that did not get talked about hardly at all after uh, it released in April. Totally worth your time. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Our next special award, formerly the Dom Toretto Family Memorial Award, uh, has now been renamed the Brian O'Connor Award because uh, Brian O'Connor was not played by someone who has been uh, allegedly um, in, uh, sexually harassing slash assaulting people. So we're going to do movie you're most likely to watch recommend to your family. I'm going to start with you, Laurent, throw it back to you. I had two in contention for this, but I'm going to go with The Holdovers. Um, That's a good one. I mean... I love Alexander Payne, but there's something about this movie that has wrapped itself around my heart all year long. And I just, I love it. And it's, it's palatable and it's also feels subs it's comfort food, but it feels like it's also nourishing, mm -hmm. you know, like I could put it on and just like get a good cry or feel good about things, you know? Um, and it introduces three characters that I just fell in love with and I love spending time with them. Um, and it's just a great Oscar clip for Paul Giamatti. If you've been a fan of him for years, this movie just gives you everything about him that you like about his uh, performance style, um, blending his his brand of comedy antics with pathos. And it's just, it's just a really sweet holiday film that I think I'll have on regular rotation. And, and, and dads and moms will like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I actually did at the Thanksgiving. I did. I did, in fact, recommend this to my family. For, uh, I don't know. If, I don't yeah. think any of them saw it, but I did. <laughs> I did recommend it in our family text chat. Yeah, so that was mine. We did watch it over Christmas. So in practice, it also works. Okay. They all loved it. And they it. all loved it? Yeah. Hey. All those reasons that you said. Perfect. I all, cried multiple times. Also mine. Yeah. It's, come on. It's the best it's holiday the one, movie guys. in decades, and it's not even close. Yeah. It's the one. It's true. I'm not even going to argue with that. I had some others on here, but they weren't as good as the holdovers. And it is the one I actually did in fact recommend to my family. So mm. the I'll holdovers, say, I'll say the other one was the, it was air. My mom might not like it. Air's more for the dad. It's for the dad. My mom though. would, it's the movie my mom would watch and be like, it's fine. But, but my dad's, yeah, gonna dad's love would love dad's it. Gonna love dad it. movie all the way. So movie you're at least likely to watch <laughs> or recommend uh, to your parents. I mean, uh, this, is a, this is another like easy one, right? Uh, well, we'll I, got, I got I got two. I got okay, two. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think okay, Dalton. What what, what is the easy I mean, answer? Saltburn. Yeah, come on. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not gonna let my mother watch Saltburn. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to her. List of things you don't want your mom to watch. Should I say them? I don't even know if you can say I won't them. say most of them. What I will say is everyone deserves to see Barry Keoghan's Huge Hog. <laughs> but you gotta get through a lot of movie to get to that. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, well, I mean, I think you can say them. I think the one thing you can say that's probably, we've all heard the expression, like I would, well, I guess is it is it spoil? Like you saying is it spoilery? We shouldn't say. I that. don't. Yeah. Now you know what? Tech, I know. Let's say it. The, the kids on the internet are already spoiling it. Like it's crazy. on TikTok. All over. Yeah, all exactly. I'm saying is like, well, you've heard the expression, like you know, well, you know, she's so hot or he's so hot, I would drink that person's bath water. 
Now you get to see what that actually entails. Uh-huh. And I wonder if you still feel the same way. <laughs> Does anyone have anything other than Saltburn? I have a, <laughs> I, do, I do have a follow-up pick, but it's not as good as Saltburn. I yeah, I definitely put Saltburn. That's just like there's there's other ones that I'm like, my okay, my mom won't like this other movie, but she'd still watch it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This she would probably be like, I'm done. I'm I'm checking out, you know. So Saltburn, I think, wins that award. So mm-hmm. good on you, Emerald Fennell. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Joe. Yeah, I mean it it. It's not hard in my family to think about things that wouldn't be watched. Because even with the holdovers, my mom was like, they lie too much. Like, they're, yeah. they're you know. My, my, my father, my father yeah. who got upset when we watched House of Gucci because they used too many swear words. And I was yeah. like, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there it could be anything. Dicks would probably be up there, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. So, mm-hmm. I think Saltburn is the go-to. A lot of people, I again, on TikTok, I know, watch this over Christmas without knowing. With their families, and it's sort of become a, a joke. Yes, <laughs> that's incredible. It's like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, it was all there, guys. You just, you're just not informed. Yeah. Don't you like Carrie Mulligan? I hear she's in this. Uh, <laughs> poor dear Pamela. Poor dear. I want a movie just about poor, poor dear, dear Pamela. Pamela. Yes. <laughs> what a character. Seriously. Honorable mention: When Evil Lurks. Yeah. You know, that sure. movie's pretty intense. Hey, Bo is afraid. Honorable mention. I, that's not a movie that, I want to watch with my mom. That's true. Ooh. Yeah, I definitely don't want to. Be with my mom when Bo starts, or that when there's a giant giant dick that gets stabbed in the, you know, <laughs> screw him. I just don't want to be there with my I mom. I forgot about when his scene. mom are arguing. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. too it's real. A lot of movies you don't want to watch with your parents award this year, uh, but yeah, I think Saltburn is definitely the one one to rule them all. How about the movie you wish you'd seen on the big screen award? And I'm saying this specifically because there are some of these that are released directly to streaming, so we don't get to see them uh, on, on the big screen. Joe, what was your pick? I picked No One Will Save You, that mm. horror film, and I think it was on Hulu. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that could have been really fun in theaters. For sure. If you haven't seen it, it's no dialogue, aliens. It felt very much like Signs, like a throwback to that time mm-hmm. of filmmaking where it's just like a fun alien invasion movie. A nice 90-minute lean. Yeah, very lean. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I would have loved to see that on, in theaters. I think so, especially if you get like a captivated audience. Mm-hmm. could be a good time. It was a good couch watch, too. Yeah. But, yeah, theater experience would have been neat. Laurent? Uh, for me, it is the killer. Some of us at the table got lucky enough to see it in a theater, but I did not. I just feel like Fincher is like is he's an he's in his movies are events. I feel like I so I I just can't understand the medium here. Like I, even if you think it's mid, as some people have said, there's still some big mo- there's some big money moments in that that would have been electric on you know in a theater. So with an audience that was that was there for it, you know. So that's one that I I just. You know, slightly grieved not seeing there. Still loved it quite a bit, you know, at home. But, yeah, could imagine it being even enhanced by, you know, a theatrical experience. Dalton, I imagine that was going to be your pick. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to fist fight Ted Sarandos in the street. You should. <laughs> you let should. me watch my Fincher movie in a recliner or whatever, man. Come on. What are we doing here? We, we're giving this man a hundred plus million dollars to, to make one of the best looking movies of the year. I got to watch it on my TV. Now, fortunately, I was able to go over to a friend with an OLED's house and have a real good time and, you know, a 4K Netflix subscription. Did, so. they, did they think we weren't going to show up? I got is that next, what it is? They played in other cities. That's what drives me crazy. I'm like, like, what are we doing we, here? I would have gone. I would have gone. I promise. Just like a, another 500 <laughs> screens. Like, not yeah. even 300 more screens. Right. Like, just get it at Quail. Right. Anything. Yeah. Well, that requires them to negotiate contracts with AMC, which Netflix doesn't like to do unless it's for a man named Ryan Johnson. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's super upsetting. It's a good Be- guy, but... And I hate it because they do do these press screeners because they know that it's better on the big screen and they mm-hmm. want people like us 
to vote for their movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, therefore, you're acknowledging that it's better. So why not give the people the best way to watch it? So it's I, bad, I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And they're losing money. That's the thing. Yep. They're leaving money on the table just because they, they are so convinced that if you see it in the theater, you won't watch it on Netflix. Yeah. Well, let me tell you guys. I, I just said before this recording, I saw Doom Part 1 in the theater. And then I saw it two more times on HBO Max. We can have both. Exactly. You can do both. Five Nights at Freddy's. We got Saltbird yeah. on screen. Yeah. I mean, I got to see that in, in 4K in theaters. Five Nights at Freddy's is a good one. Even Halloween ends last year. Same thing. Yeah. Ted. <laughs> <laughs> he does it again. My selection, really quick. Uh, when Evil Lurks, I watched it on Shudder. Yeah. And it was amazing on Shudder. A ride. Mm-hmm. I was in. I was plugged in. Amazing at-home viewing experience. I would have loved to have seen this in a theater like I did Barbarian, mm. which is where I went in with no idea what I was watching with a captivated audience. Yeah. This movie could have been magical. <laughs> and I don't know that if it did play here locally, it probably did. And I just missed the boat on it. it. Actually, I think it, it did. did. I think it briefly. did. I think it did briefly for like one weekend. And I missed it because I didn't know what the hell is it, it rodeo was. Is it rodeo probably? Or was uh, it? I can't remember. I don't remember either. But I remember it was there. And I remember like, what is that? And that's the reason I didn't see it. And then, then it came on Shutter, and everyone was talking about it. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to see it. Well, I prioritized it, in fact, because Joe, you were the one who's like, you were like, it was after that we saw Killers of the Flower Moon. You're like, have you seen that movie yet? And I was like, no. Because I was complaining about how bad the Exorcist believer believer was, and she's like, "That's the one you need to they watch." They came out the same day. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Bad I think idea. they were in theaters the same day. We chose the wrong. We chose, we chose to the wrong review the Exorcist believer. Knew. Only horrors we're reviewing are original horrors because yeah. it bit us in the ass this year because we did the Exorcist believer. We didn't get to do Talk to Me. Anyway, there was a lot of great indie horror this Don't in twenty twenty three. Uh, that we had to talk about on because we chose the IP. What a mistake yeah, on my part. Biggest disappointments of 2023 award. And and I put this out here because I don't really like the idea of like the worst movie. That's not really fun. It's kind of mean spirited. And, and and frankly, these days I get more and more complicated about even the biggest disappointment award because it's just really hard to get movies made in general. And a lot of times, even when movies are bad, there's a lot of people who showed up and put in a lot of effort. Yeah. Uh, that said, the biggest disappointment of 2023 award is for the movie that we had high hopes for that did, and, and the movie did not quite achieve said high hopes uh so dalton stewart i'll start with you it handily paul schrader's master gardener unfortunate unfortunately uh i'll just read i, I really like will minneker from chapa trap house's uh, letterboxd review so i'll just read a, a snippet from that real quick because i think this this summarizes it pretty well the righteous anger and despair of first reformed card counter doesn't quite rise above a simmer in this story of how an ex-Nazi just needs the love of a biracial baddie who's 30 years younger than he is. Yeah, that's what the movie's about. And it's bizarre. It is as bizarre as that sounds. He's also having sex with Sigourney Weaver, who is the great aunt, great, great aunt. aunt. Yeah, great aunt, great, yeah. yeah, I was trying to remember if she's grandmother, great aunt of, of this, this girl in question. Just an odd film, a film I wanted to like because you know, First Reformed is among my very favorite films. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's, I think I have a number two on my 100. Uh, I love that movie. So I was gassed up for Master Gardener. Uh, and I even knew the subject matter. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like, let's, you know, Schrader's sort of a weird guy, but let's see what he does with this. And the more I thought sat on that movie, the more I was just like soured on it. I, no, thanks. Interesting politics going on uh-huh. in that one. Um, I did like it. But I think I gave it three and a half stars. But in comparison to the other two, because it does feel like this is like a trilogy, mm-hmm. you know, or between a triptych at least. Yeah, right? yeah. That, between that, the card counter, and this, and and this one definitely feels like the most. I mean, oddly, like like cloyingly sentimental. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. in a way that his other movies are, they have like an earnestness, but they're, it's still gritty and hard. Yeah. And here it just feels, it, it ended so saccharine at the end yeah. of it. It just felt so like, I don't know. Um, so I, I, I was, Liked it quite a bit when I saw it, and I, I agree with you. I've kind of cooled I on it. I think I well. started at like a three, or maybe even as high as a three and a half, and came down mm-hmm. to two and a half. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like those other two films, just have like such a clear focus on like the issue that they're about, and that they yeah. want like the American concern, not even American, and yeah. first reform the global concern. I card counter two global concern, like the yeah. concern that they want to like really address. Yeah. And it's like, is what is Master Gardener about? Is this a film about race? Is this a film about yeah. like class? They kind of put those ideas in a blender, and it's a little less. Yeah. Less palatable, yeah. For sure. Joe, how about you? What is your biggest disappointment of 2023? Ferrari. Mm. I wanted I wanted that movie to be so much better. Yeah. I I'm a big fan of the racing. Yep. Um, I'm a big fan of the Ferrari brand, and I felt mm. it was done dirty in that film. Uh, I think we shouldn't do accents anymore. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it, oh my gosh, yes, yes. Uh yeah. Um that so, he's been championing that for I, the, I just, half of the year. What so. what what year are we in? Yeah. When not everyone knows that that's not how Italians sound. Mm-hmm. Shailene Woodley did. Oh, and Shailene Woodley. I, like, I like her quite a bit, but it was oh, I could not take her winner. couldn't take her seriously with that accent, yeah. so. Yeah. Um I thought the effects were bad. I didn't like the racing was sort of like all muddled and I I feel like that's what it wanted to be about, but then it wasn't. Yeah, I didn't didn't like it. Very disappointed. And as Lauren said earlier, what did we learn about Ferrari at the yeah, end of Penelope that movie? Cruz can still act. That's <laughs> yeah. what that's what I she left was, for away. I she was she fantastic. thought she was going for an Oscar. I think in that she film. did, and she yeah. was like, I thought I was in a Michael Mann movie. Yeah, I thought I was getting my Oscar. Michael Mann from the nineties. Everyone else let uh, me down. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I will say that has some pretty brutal wreck sequences. That's <laughs> gonna sound terrible. The wrecking in that movie was pretty effective. That final wreck scene is in particular. Yeah. I did gasp. Yeah, I did I, go. I, I did too. Like wow. Now is it? At all based on the reality, the like actual physics? No, but it was pretty devastating when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great pick. I was ready yeah. to like it. Yeah. All the things were there. Well, it's a it's a shame. Ron Chapman. For me, this one was I mean, I had I mean, I wanted to put the exorcist, but then I but I watched Halloween in, so you know, I, I didn't have high hopes for this one. So I was a little dis I was disappointed in Renfield quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I also wasn't like devastated that it wasn't good. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, that's fine. He gave his dream scenario. I'm fine. But so the one that was actually disappointing to me, like one that I just like was so jazzed up to see was infinity pool. Yeah. That was, we went and saw it. I know. I I think, I think you're pretty warm on it. Uh, It it just very narrowly got edged out of the 25. Yeah. I just, and I don't think it's complete, a complete failure. I do think there's some style there, but I just feel like, and I love Mia goth and, She's the best part of it. Anytime she's in it, I'm 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 there for it. I just felt it was you mentioned with May December, you know, like it, it was it was cold in a in, in a way that just never you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I just I couldn't get invested in anything because everything was so clinical, it was so drab and dreary and in in uninteresting ways to me. I was like, this movie should it's almost it almost got an NC seventeen rating, right? Or did they mm-hmm. did it they, did and then, yeah, they, edited they, it and then they edited it down, you know, so I just I just wanted more from it. And I just felt like the scenes that that everyone was going all gun ho for, I was like Bo's Afraid was more shocking to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like and I just I don't know. So um so it's one that's like I think I gave it two two and a half stars. I don't hate it, but it it's just one that I I expect it to love because I'm a genre hound, you know, and it just didn't work for me at all. So, 
Yeah, I, I think that's a great selection. You mentioned the uh, Exorcist Believer. Um, it's not my biggest disappointment because uh, I didn't have high hopes, but I will right. just say that is my dead last. That is the worst movie. That's your worst movie. I, yeah, that is my lowest rated movie <laughs> of last year for a lot of reasons. But uh, different podcasts for that. Um, I, I'm torn. If I was going 50-50, probably the creator, Gareth mm. Edwards' new movie. Yeah. We should underscore, I outline here, all the movies we've named are movies that have good, like, things we like about them, which sure. is probably why yeah. they're so disappointing, because the creator has a great cast. The visuals for the, it's unbelievable how good this movie looks on the budget. Uh, it, it's on, it's, it looks like a $250 million movie that was made for, what, 50? It, yeah, it, like 40 or 50. 40 or 50, so uh, super impressive on that front, but there's, just not a lot of original ideas. It's a bunch of ideas, disparate ideas that are loosely tied together. And I didn't feel like it landed the ship in any, to say anything particularly interesting about AI, which, you know, I know this movie has been in the oven for a while, mm -hmm. but for this movie to get released in a year that generative AI really exploded in the popular conversation and the zeitgeist, it should zeitgeist, have, landed it should have better. Had, felt yeah. like it had more on its mind. Well, other about than, movies with weird racial politics. Oh, yeah. So Don Tadlunk has got a really good article about like, the missteps of that film. That Ooh, I, I'll, I'll have, have to, to check that, that yeah, out. That's good. Um, again, not a disaster. I think I gave it three stars because I was like, what's well, fine? I just, uh, the trailers had me pretty amped up. The other one I just want to shout out, uh, I, I think it would come in a close second, would just be the new Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny because, A, uh, you know, it's not Spielberg, but it is James Mangold. And it's another one of those. I know that we're bringing back franchises and any under any rock we can find, but Harrison Ford has really been pushing to get this movie made for a very long time. And you just think, if there's that sort of like enthusiasm about the project for so long and you've got so many talented people working on it, that it's going to have something to say and something to add. And we really just got a greatest hits movie with some de-aging hmm. CG. That's not bad, but it, it, you can tell that it's de-aging CG. So I guess it's not good either. Hmm. I will say a better conclusion to Indy's story than King of the Crystal Skull, but just barely. That movie does not exist. <laughs> it doesn't exist mm -mm. you're right it yeah. doesn't exist wiped <laughs> wiped from the history books okay two more special awards uh, this next one's a fun one actually I think Dalton you were the one who pitched this one last year this is the Babu Frick Memorial Award so this is the award we're handing out for the best scene stealer of the year so a performance or could even be CG something character likely that really stole the show from the rest of the movie the movie in fact much like Babu Frick, the movie could be dog trash, but if it's charming, this character wins. So, Laurent, I'm going to throw it back to you. So, we just talked about Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> he, you know, he did. He was he made a cameo in Ferrari, but he 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 did some fun things in, in a new holiday classic, Thanksgiving. Yeah, he's fucking cooking Thanksgiving. I yeah, just yeah. literally, yeah, literally, he was, he was cooking. <laughs> so, um, that was a fun film and, and an unexpected delight. Like yeah. I expected. I mean, I think we were reviewing that in Saul X, and we were like. I you know I was surprised that you know well actually both of those were good no there was both I think, they were good I yeah. think it was I think it was uh the Exorcist actually yes. we were we it yeah my my money was not that Thanksgiving was going to be my preferred choice and I walked away thinking it was one of the better horror movies of the year and one that just had some really inspired choices and like a nice little commentary on mm -hmm. you know um the greediness of the holiday season and capitalism and all those things and we finally uh, got a movie that turned black friday into the into horror, the that, horror it that it is exactly in in and in a worthy addition to it that so. opening riot rocks oh it's, yeah it's yeah. just such a cool set piece yeah gotta be one of the, my favorite sequences from the year yeah, yeah i would yeah. agree with that so yeah for me it's patrick dempsey in in that in thanksgiving what a great choice joe light 
Uh, I had a couple. I initially thought Mark Ruffalo and Poor Things. I just, <laughs> yeah. I loved him in that so much, and very he just surprised me in his his ability to go so ridiculous. I think that I had never seen before Mm-mm. him do that accent or do, be that silly. I don't know what accent it was, but I've Who definitely not knows? seen him do it. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but then I also thought Matt Bomer in Maestro was so mm. amazing. Yeah, what a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man. What man. a darling man. <laughs> um, I think every scene that he's in, he he. Can we get a movie where he actually gets the guy at the end? Yeah, I feel like every nice. movie I've ever seen him in is like, <laughs> he's he's just the pretty guy that gets tossed aside. I and I'm know. just a pretty face. Uh, like... He's not. He's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, those are some good picks. Dalton Stewart? Um, it, pretty easily is it Marshawn Lynch, Ruby Cruz, and the production design of bottoms i'm giving yeah. it to I'm, I'm spreading the love a little oh, bit man. but i mean marshawn lynch is the obvious answer and yeah he's great ruby cruz is also extremely funny as the accidental terrorist of the group uh, <laughs> really funny stuff and then the production design of that movie is just hiding jokes everywhere mm-hmm. uh, yeah i mean whether it's you know the mascot suit <laughs> what's going on with his situation uh the, the uh, posters that are throughout the school stuff like the art direction is just like really funny and you've, you've already mentioned like the the costuming choice just mm-hmm. always have the football players like in their gear yeah big yeah. fan of that movie in general and and a couple of like really great performances and some like fun you know uh behind the scenes movie making that's mm-hmm. just really spectacular and i think just makes the movie that much more special. Babu Frick would be proud. Yeah. Bottoms. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Robert Pattinson as the Heron in right. The Boy nice. and the Heron. And I kind of wish I didn't know it was him going in yeah. because it is such a wild, bonkers voice performance that sounds absolutely nothing like him. And at first it's menacing, but then by the end it's comedic. It's a, he's swinging all over the place mm-hmm. with that performance, and certainly memorable. Certainly yeah. uh, one of the more memorable voice performances I've heard in, in, in quite a while, where you see just an actor go bananas with the material. I actually didn't know. I didn't know going into it. So and then went back like, who was there? I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Robert <laughs> so Pattinson. Nice. So apparently he's kind of doing a riff on what the Japanese voice actor is doing for the Heron performance too. Oh, okay. Yeah, There's like a little bit of that like growl and stuff, mm-hmm. and that the other performance. So they apparently the uh, I was reading kind of uh, the casting for the dubs, and they worked really close with Studio Ghibli in terms of who they cast. So like for example, in the the original Japanese, they had brought back a lot of actors who'd worked on previous I Miyazaki. Saw, yeah, I heard about that. So that's why they, they so they brought in as Christian many of these, Bale, Christian yeah. Bale and Mark Hamill, who had worked yeah. on previous Ghibli dubs uh, before. And for the the Heron, I guess G-Kids was originally like, oh, we're going to get like a Danny DeVito type person to do the voice. And they were like, well, actually, we're, we casted a, a Japanese pop star for this. So you get, you should try to go find like some young, gotcha. young up and coming. And that's how they landed on Robert Pattinson, which <laughs> is inspired. We almost, they never talked to each other, but we do technically have two Batman voicing characters in the same scene, uh, you know? Yeah. So that's something. I didn't think about that. Didn't yeah. make that connection. You're right. Anyway, great little performance. So many scene stealers though. Uh, all right, let's move on to our final award, which is the never bet against James Cameron award. So this is a award is for a film that you were sure would fail either critically or at the box office, but against all odds, it succeeded. I think there's a couple of really obvious choices for this, but I want to see what the table thinks. Joe Light, I'll start with you. FNAF. That's what I put. Five Nights at Freddy. Ooh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. Me. Um, how did it make that much money? I guess I'm not necessarily surprised that it did. 
because it's such a popular game series. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. We've mentioned it a couple times, but it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I expected mm. the fans to come out, but I didn't expect them to come out that that, that hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they also had, as Dalton pointed out, they also had the option to yeah. watch it at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like that movie a little bit more than y'all, I think, just for sentimental reasons. Is it a good movie? No. Did but you play the fun. games? No, but I watched the games. Okay. I watched a lot of people play the games. Okay. I came out harsh on that. I don't know. I, it was fun. I, I mean, I think if I can, if you can take it for what it is, maybe sort of thing. I don't know. There's. Mm-hmm. The animatronics were really cool. Yeah, yeah. that that practical. That, the practicals were good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim Henson, I've right? Always, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. Not a, I'm I I know it's not a good movie, but it, I I really enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. And it made a crap load of money. It did a so. lot of money. So we're gonna get some more. Everyone get excited. <laughs> you guys ready to flesh out that mythology? Five more nights before. <laughs> LeBron Chapman. You know we started like week one. Of, of the year, uh, I think it was January 6th, you know, we don't like that date, but um, but maybe maybe this took it down, uh, was Megan. Um, that was something I did not anticipate on being critically successful or box off successful, and on a $12 million budget, it made $181 million. That's a mega hit for a movie about, you know, and it actually was smarter and funnier and more, like, we, we I think we all went and saw it collectively here locally, and and got a kick out of you know it being kind of a a nice little b movie a nice little b movie about a damn twerking doll <laughs> it's more interesting take on ai than uh the creator <laughs> yeah oddly enough it was um so that was one that i just wouldn't was not in my on my bingo card that that movie would be a big smash hit you know or that critics would it would enjoy it you know yeah. so um and i and i actually quite enjoyed it too dalton stewart i cannot believe that as of january 1st of last of this year of our new year Wonka has grossed $142.8 million in North America and 387.2 worldwide. That's insane. I did not, I know, did not know that there was still a hunger for this. I, I was like, I, I'm one of the haters on this one. I'm like, I, I look, I love Paul King. I love the Paddington movies. And I know there are some people who like really enjoy the, have enjoyed Wonka. I know like it's actually been fairly well received. It couldn't have been me. I, I assumed it was going to be an absolute flop. I assumed nobody was going to want to go see a whimsical Timothee. I total shock for me. I, I really expected this and Aquaman two to be doing kind of similar numbers. And yeah, you know, but Aquaman two is a bigger letdown for sure. Sure, big, even bigger budget. Yeah, but yeah, just just cleaning up. People are you know having a great time. I guess it was uh, the it was the movie that helped. Th- the box office crossed nine billion, which was the goal for the year. Oh, yeah, there so. you go. I, I'm just gonna acknowledge it's not my pick, but I just want to acknowledge Barbie because while I think we kind well, of no one else is. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> no. it was certainly a movie that I expected to do well, but I certainly did not expect it to be the runaway hit of the year. Uh, frankly, right. that movie you could argue I, it like made up over a third of Warner Brothers total box office gross mm-hmm. this year. I do want to say Godzilla minus one mm-hmm. is a film that every week it just keeps bringing people back. I have friends who've seen that movie thing at four times in the theaters Good already. For them. And it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. And obviously it's Godzilla. But to see a Japanese Godzilla perform so well in the States, it opened number one at the box office uh, on its first weekend. Crazy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's continued steady business each and every week uh, since has, has been quite impressive. So I would not have bet on a Japanese Godzilla film uh, to be one of the biggest hits of this last month. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, time for our main event, our top five films of 2023. And now, our feature presentation. Listeners, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around the table, uh, changing the order each round, and we'll name uh, one of our top five films. If someone else has that same movie, so say, for example, if I say, tell uh, LaRon that The Exorcist Believer is uh, my number five, and he says, no, no, that's higher up on my list, I say, oh, okay. <laughs> like I'll talk, we're going to wait and talk about it until he reaches number one. And we talk about it when it's number one, essentially uh, we'll talk about it when it reaches the highest point in the list. With that said, let's start with number five, LaRon Chapman. Number five on my list. I've already discussed it a little bit at length here um, is the holdovers. Are we supposed to interrupt? Cause I put that higher. Joe, we're going to hold <laughs> the rest of the holdovers. Okay. Man. I'm going to get back around to your pick. Joe Light, what is your number five? I put Saltburn at number five. Oh, bliss. Bliss, bliss, bliss. Mm. Oh, this song. God, I haven't heard this song in forever. <sighs> I used to hang out with them all, actually, when I was modelling. Britpop, Blur, Oasis. God, the parties. Oh, but then, of course, common people came out and everybody thought it was written about me, which was completely mortifying and ridiculous. I mean, I barely knew Jarvis. What? But she came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. It couldn't have been me. I've never wanted to know anything. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Big no. swing. That's, that is a big swing. Cool. Big swing. Honestly, yeah. cool. Oh, God, Are we likes talking about it now, or should I? Uh, I not on my list. Didn't okay, make the 25 cool. for me. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> um, culturally, I think it's had a huge impact. Uh, mm -hmm. Just based on what I'm seeing online and the way the music in the film is being embraced by a new younger generation. It's extremely viral on TikTok. Uh, I think it's getting a new group of people to appreciate film. I'm seeing a lot of interviews with uh, Emerald Fennell um, discussing cinematography, discussing the set design, discussing the casting. And I think that people who watched this movie have probably never thought about those things before, but now are. <laughs> so I think that just as a, as a, a cultural moment in cinema, uh, it made that top five for me. Yeah. And I also just really like the movie. It's a, uh, I think, what did you say? Chaotic bisexual? Chaotic. Yeah. I, yeah. There is a, it was a, it was a great year for chaotic bisexual yes, energy representation I, this year between uh, this. Yeah. yeah. I'm a hundred percent behind this, anatomy, this anatomy of a fall, poor things, mm -hmm. yeah. passage, more, more, more passages. It was all there. It was like, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. So I, you know, you know, Joe, I kind of don't like that movie, but I'm, hey, that's you know, all right. no, no, but, but I, I'm, you raise a really good point that we haven't talked about, which is. My thing is this movie's edgy and it feels like it's edgy for the sake of being edgy. But you know what? Why did we want, get into movies when we were younger? Because mm -hmm. I, you know, how much edgy yeah. stuff did we watch that probably wasn't, you know, always the most sophisticated? If it gets you into film and, and starting that conversation, I think that's that's worthwhile mm -hmm. yeah. for sure. And uh, I hear the kids on TikTok, it's, like Joe's saying, it's a big deal. It's bitchy. It's vapid. It's mm -hmm. stylish. It's just so stylish. That's either your thing or it's not. And I totally get that. Oh, my it's, gosh. Uh, and the cast. Yeah. Oh, cast is great. So, uh, Rosamund Pike. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do a spoiler, but. <laughs> But there's a moment where they have a breakfast that yeah. I think is probably one yeah. of my favorite scenes that's from a good all scene. of last year. That's, that's a great scene. In the tone of it, in the way it's shot, the, the lighting. Yeah, I yeah. just love it so much. Rosamund Pike has my favorite joke of the year, which was, I used to be a lesbian, but I found it too wet. It's too yeah. wet. Yeah. Yeah. Too wet. <laughs> men, are, men are beautiful and dry. So dry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that was not on my bingo card for this conversation. So yeah, I am I glad it. to I find this is why this is I such a fun show. Swings. I yes. love bold swings. It is what makes movies a great thing. Dalton Stewart, what is your number five? A film destined to be a cult classic. We've already talked about it. It bombed as hell, but boy, is it outstanding. It's Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. Am I dead? No, no. You've been healing so quickly. And no organs were hit, and your, your bleeding was really mild. What this is a room is? This is a room in our house, but it's your home for as long as you need. My name's Grace. Oh, this is Roger. This is my husband. Hey, Kai. Welcome back. Thought you'd sleep in, huh? Roger's a very respected surgeon. He's the one who dressed and treated your wounds. You're a lucky man. What is this? That's my little assistant health monitor. Keeps track of your condition. An absurd American odyssey about Oedipal complexes and anxiety and dick monsters and Nathan Lane poisoning you. Stop cussing me out. (laughs) Such a good movie. So stressful. So funny. I mean, just from the opening moments, it's just like punishing (laughs) with its sound design as you're being born as Bo. And just like the degree to which the film commits to putting you in Bo's shoes, the shoes of a a very sad person. Mm. Sad, anxious person. Yeah, just a true, like one of the great movie sad sacks of recent memory. Yeah. I'm just like, a big year for Joaquin, but for me it's like, it's this performance, mm-hmm. and it's not even close. I mean, I didn't see Napoleon, to be fair. But no, it, well, he's better in Bo. He's better. Yeah, yeah, he's just so incredible in Bo, and it's everybody's so good. Parker Posey's so good. Um, uh, I, I'm blanking on the— Patty LaPoon Patty plays LaPoon. Her, thank as you, her mom. Thank you. That's yeah. what I was trying to think of. Yeah, I, and I already mentioned Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan. I mean, just everybody that shows up in this movie knows exactly what movie they're in. They're dialed into the wavelength of this very specific tone, and it's— just like so artistically like beautiful to take in like the even the the sort of kind of whimsical Michel Gondry or Wes Anderson kind of touches that happen in the middle of the film again the super grotesque monster we get late in the film uh I like sort of the extended flashback dream sequence we get I'm just I'm there for all of it Uh, it's a movie I I had to see twice I I saw it at a at a, a uh advanced screening uh, and immediately went back and saw an IMAX again. Uh, <laughs> what I was a 24's first IMAX release should have, should have made a little bit more money. I agree. I I just, agree. It's so sad to see this film tank so hard. And that's, that's why I feel the need to champion it. I do think it's going to have long legs culturally because mm-hmm. it's just so much there, so much there. It's kind of singular. And I mean, obviously like Ari Aster's got two other very good movies, but it's just like, so, so much its own thing and very assured of itself. Not the first sort of tonally daring film on my list for sure. Hey, bold swings between that and Saltburn. I, I love, you know, I love these choices, guys. <laughs> I do. They're they're not on my list, but I, I I'm proud that they're on yours. I am <laughs> proud that they are getting that love and attention they deserve. That's for sure. Uh, my number five is Anatomy of a Fall. This film nice. uh, released or uh, late late in the the game this year was in my five for a long time before getting edged out by a couple of other things. Yeah, it's it is um, higher on my list, but oh okay, I, I, all right, we're saving it then. And don't worry, we're gonna repeat our list at the end. Thank you, Leron. We'll circle back when we get to. 
uh, at later in the list. Let's move on to our number four films. And I'm going to throw it to you, Joe Light. Ooh, it's time to fight. <laughs> Maestro is actually my number four. Seems I'm attracted to a certain type. Listen, mm. I, you know, Lenny loves you. He really does. He's just a man, a horribly aging man who cannot just be wholly one thing. He's, he's uh, lost. I've always known who he is. He called me, you know. And? He wants us all to go to Fairfield together for two weeks. He sounded different. Felicia. No, I, I... Let's not make excuses. He didn't fail me. It's Felicia. No, it's... It's my own arrogance. To think I could survive on what he could give. You said it's divisive. I know it is. And I even agree with you because I know we saw it together. Mm-hmm. And I had the same moment. So it's almost like I like this film against my initial feelings. Uh, I was in the theater feeling like, ugh. I, I don't think I'm reacting to this film in any kind of way. Like this isn't – I want like a moment where I'm like, I am enjoying this and this is cinema. And it, it wasn't getting there quite until the second half. And you mentioned you don't like the second half. Yeah. So, um, it is divisive. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's just a it, – it's a film, I think, much like Bo is Afraid, just in the fact that I, I watched it, I thought about it, and I watched it again and ended up liking it much, much more. I think a lot of people feel what you do, Caleb, about – it not necessarily being about Bernstein, the musician. I think it's more about Bernstein and his duality. And I think that that's something that really resonates, at least for me. Uh, He was not perfect. Uh, He did a lot of bad things. Um, But I think it's so interesting to me to watch him wrestling with those different sides of himself. And I think that that is what probably, I'm just making an assumption based on what the dialogue is and how the film is told, like it's all about two sides, um, him as a creator, him as a performer, him as a bisexual person. Um, the first half is in black and white. The second half is in color. And I still feel that the first half is not very strong personally. Um, I am not a fan of Carrie Mulligan, to to be honest, but I think she's awesome in this film. So again, I'm, I'm sort of like liking it against what I would normally say, I think. She has a great moment in the second half of the film where it's just a static shot of her, yeah. a very long static shot mm-hmm. that I think is amazing. The monologue sequence with the when she's explaining, um, it's the when, sacrifices she's. It's when she's she's just reacting, so it's, she's okay. not actually saying anything. Okay. She's just sort of watching the people around mm. her. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's just a, a long steady shot of her. Um, and I think that might be her Oscar moment. Like I, I think that's she definitely is swinging for it in this film. Yeah, I just think it's such an interesting exploration of of someone who was trying to be a lot of things at the same time. Um, I think it is a very strong portrayal of bisexuality. Um, And yeah, I just, I I personally resonate very, very strongly with that. And I think the one scene that got me there when I initially was watching it was the, the sequence where he conducts the whole song. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. in the theater, I was like, they're right. going to cut away from this. Like, I wish they would just let it sit. Yeah. And then they do. And then he has this amazing moment with Carrie Mulligan afterwards that makes me cry every time. 
Um, so yeah, I think I def- I definitely on the second watch was much more emotionally involved in the film, and that's that's what got it up there in the top. Okay. Hey man, I love to hear it, and and that sequence is There's masterful. Not, yeah, mm-hmm. truthfully, and it, so that's why like that movie is. There's a lot to love, and I'm glad that it, it worked better for you on the uh, second thing. Maybe I should give it another shot. I don't know. Maybe maybe after some time. Yeah, I think I think for me, for me, like the highs are so high mm-hmm. that it won me over. Ultimately, mm-hmm. um, so if I'm like putting all the pieces together, I came up with it. I think I give it four stars. So mm-hmm. it's like I still like it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I just think there were. Things about his character in particular that I wanted to know more about um, that I feel like they just kind of allude to or like, you you know, but mm-hmm. um, and then where with her, I was so invested in all the, his choices and what they were doing to her. And I just said, is this movie about him or is it about her? I couldn't mm-hmm. I never felt like the movie could decide who they really, fa- you know, paired yeah, with the most. Sense. But um, but that being said, I, I think both of them. The performances are really good. And I think it's a step up from The Star is Born in terms of filmmaking. Like, you, yes. there's some, the cinematography, I mean, it's yes. look, it's a, it's like, oh, we're going like, you know, because there's not, I don't know, there's too much about A Star is Born, like, visually that I'm just like, whoa. It's, this is way more you know, flashy. It, it, yeah, this is like flashy yeah. in that way. And so I, I definitely noticed that for sure. So I guess I'm uh, catching up with Maestro. You should. <laughs> so you should. Yeah, it's a blind spot for me. Please let us know what you think, too. I'm curious. Because I, I, I feel like I've been a, like a downer on it. it. It's not, it is certainly. Uh, has a lot of merits and again I'm glad you're able to find the emotionality behind it because that, that was the thing I was having a hard time connecting with the guy mm. the person and it made it hard for me to understand what the mu- movie was doing about his music I do know a lot of people um, that I've read have commented on is it about him or her mm-hmm. talking about how it's actually about their marriage which their I think marriage which, in general, which yeah. even watching that through through that lens might I think would probably recontextualize how I think about certain choices so uh, yeah. yeah Joe I'm glad you like Maestro that's great Let's keep up the diversity of thought. <laughs> Dalton Stewart, what's your number four? Well, I know there's another Todd Haynes fan at the table. I'm, who is it? Could it be? <laughs> is is uh, May December on your list, Ron? It is not on this half of my list. All right. And I know it's not on Joe's list. Caleb? No. 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 <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, yeah, I didn't think it was on yours, Caleb. Uh, I liked it, to be clear, a lot. Joe talked about not being sure about Sort of the moments where it's silly, and for me, that's a feature, not a bug. Mm. I uh, I really do love the tone of this thing. I I'm just obsessed with it. I it was a movie that I maybe the only movie this year I had to watch two days in a row. I guess mm. the killer I had that too, but that's you know the Fincher fan in me. Uh, May December, I was just like so awestruck by it by by the the end of the movie, both in terms of like the way it's a, about our sort of tabloid sensationalism obsessed culture the way it's again we talked about a lot today about this being the year we got sex back into the movies it is about the darker side of that in a like really interesting way without being too grim in the way like say something women talking is too grim for some folks um i I thought this did a really good job of being sensitive towards the charles melton character giving him a lot to do letting letting him be as much a part of the story as as the two women who are very much at the center of the film but obviously like his story is, you know, one that needs to be given a lot of attention and and care as his, you know, the third lead of the film. And I think they do a really good job with him. Again, I've said this online, but I never thought I'd go for a butterfly metaphor ever again. That's the <laughs> dumbest shit in the world. And this movie, it make it hits. It, it hits, dude. It totally hits. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, settling the the discourse once and for all. Natalie Portman, good or bad? Good. Mm-hmm. She's so good in this movie. That monologue is. 
is uh, so A good. plus. Haunting. Well, I, I think Charles Melton also embodied the physicality of a man child so well. That's what really resonated with me. If I, I think if we didn't, if they didn't give grace to that character, I probably would have hated this movie. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, and I sure. think because he was so, he, we do get, we get to see the little nuances of how he's been affected by being preyed upon in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Because here he's 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 being vulnerable with another person, thinking that they're they're trying to get to the heart of things. But you find out basically there's a lot of predators in this movie. That's what grownups do, Laurent. That's what they do. And I just found that so devastating yeah, and and interesting Ugh. because all the characters, it's like playing with perception. Um, you don't you don't know who's a who's a reliable narrator. Yeah. And there's there's layers to it because the idea that she's playing an actress, mimicking another actress, and then in real life she's playing an actress, mimicking an actress, mimicking an actress. So there's just so many layers of like ethics in terms mm-hmm, of even mm-hmm. with being an actor, like how much is too much, how much is exploitive, you know, to mm-hmm. do to go and talk tell someone's true story and then you're siphoning the things that that might be the scandalous bits of it. And, you know, not telling, saying anything about the ending, but the ending tells you everything you need yes. to know well, about the intentions about everything. Without so, spoiling the ending for anybody who hasn't seen it, I think what's like so masterful about the ending is it, er, not really, midway through the film, Natalie Portman sees a like made for TV dramatization of the relationship she's studying for this little indie drama. And the indie drama, this, you know, supposedly, you know, highfalutin indie drama she's in uses the same like sad stupid metaphor that is used in the like made for tv lifetime movie and it's so like this little little snake in the cage moment occurs Mm -hmm. in both uh, in some way in both versions of this story and i just i i think it's such a great moment to kind of tie it all together and just show you like no there's nobody here is being an ethical actor everyone is like suspect here and you can't trust anyone And, and maybe you can't trust this movie uh, is is maybe yeah. the question now? Not as much as uh, say something like Killers of the Flower Moon, but I definitely think it's it's a ending that's sort of in a similar vein. It, I, it, I think it wants you to interrogate the yeah. the nature of the thing that you just watch and what what is the what is filmmaking exactly mm-hmm. and and who gets to tell the story? What are, what are their intentions? And and not only that the the film is the final product, but also each player and actor within the film. Within it. The ending reminded me a lot of Tar, honestly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like sure. the, the, taking it so seriously, but then the thing that you're doing is so silly. Silly. You know what I mean? Like in, and like all that work that you did, all the exploiting that you did for this. And it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It, make, it doesn't sit well. And I get that. I get the coldness. I understand sure. that. Yeah. And that vibe is not, it's not a good feeling. I definitely felt uncomfortable throughout, but I was just mm-hmm. impressed with the craftsmanship of, of the, of the dialogue and how they're, how they're, they're kind of saying it. And still best line of the movie, best line of the year for me, is we need more hot dogs. Well, what yeah, does it mean? Hot dogs. <laughs> what does it mean? It's just so. I just like. It's a window into her psychology. It's exactly right? to show yeah. you either. W- 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 there's a lot of different things it could mean. It could mean that she's a bad actor. Yeah. <laughs> it could mean. It could mean that she's woefully unaware of mm-hmm. who she is uh-huh. and the world she lives I'll in. I'll tell you this much, or- Caleb. She's very secure. <laughs> yeah, every time, every time she's having a fit, it, and you learn about what what could it be, and that's not what you think at yeah. all. But the thing I love about it is either no matter how you read it, it's still funny. The movie's funny, you know what and I mean? That's I mean, and I, I totally get like Joe for you. I'm, I'm sure that do, that aspect of it doesn't like work I mean, for you. I'm okay as much. with like dark horror, sure. Um, 
It's interesting that you. Uh, I I don't I don't know. It's interesting that you would say like the movie's funny because that's like I was I was in for that line. Mm-hmm. Like I liked the way it started. I think it just sort of lost me gotcha. in the middle. Like I don't think it's a bad film. I I just I see a, I see a lot of people. Um, like putting it at the level of mm-hmm. ones are probably that that are, we're going to talk about later, mm-hmm. and it's, for me, it's just not quite there. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm definitely I, for me the second watch like really unlocked the the further jokes that like are kind of hiding in the movie. One I'll watch my, it again. Though. I think I think yeah. you might. Yeah, one that I really like is uh, there. She takes Natalie Portman to like go to her, like community work that she does, and are like mm-hmm. doing floral arrangements. Mm-hmm. And the woman who's like overseeing all the volunteers comes by, and she goes, "Oh yeah, this is the actor who's gonna play me. I'm trying to show her a good time." <laughs> the, the list. Yeah, too. the list, man. Uh, and then the the woman looks over at her and goes. I'm sure you are. It's <laughs> no. like a little tiny moment. Just, you just can't trust anybody. That's no. like, you're like, dude, these people, are they all? What like, do these people actually think about this woman? Very, yeah, yeah very uncomfortable. Like, I'll just yeah. say, the last thing I'll say, because I know I'm going to move on, is yeah, the yeah. is that the when Natalie comes to visit her and they're getting packages in the mail mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everyone's just calm and aloof about the fact yeah. that what they're getting sent in the mail. Like, oh, it, it used to be way worse than this. We used to get them like we daily, them all the time. All the yeah. time. This is this is the last first one we've gotten in a long time. Like you're still getting them though. Another fun detail of that scene is Natalie Portman brings a bottle of wine over, and it's the bottle of wine she gets in her like welcome basket in her <laughs> her Airbnb or whatever. Oh, okay. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I yeah, didn't she re- regifts her uh, her, mm. her uh, swag bag. Yeah. Okay. One one more thing. I'm okay. sorry. I I think one thing I'm realizing as we're talking is also I just um. Maybe I have a visceral reaction to like this whole acting culture. I lived, I, I lived in LA for anyone in LA, and I just, I just, I don't, I don't enjoy that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. enjoy like that whole. I mean, you probably have stories too. Just sure, like sure, sure, the way people are and how they take it so seriously and the way yeah. they pe- treat other mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. maybe it just gave me like a oh, a it's stress. for the art, but no, you're actually it gave just me an like asshole. A, <laughs> it's like a stress reaction, maybe. And I think that's, that's totally fair. I think yeah. that's totally fair. Yeah, and I think yeah. I'm, I. My take was the movie's really interrogating and making fun of making fun of it. That's my read. It's yeah. straddling yeah. the line, but yeah. it's it's like critiquing it. It's showing it earnestly, but also showing why it, it's ridiculous. Not, it's ridiculous. I, I yeah. think the little uh, let's call it the inside the actor studio scene at the high school. Yeah, I think is the yeah, scene yeah. that really kind of underlines like this movie kind of has a disdain for actors mm-hmm. of a certain kind. Let's mm-hmm. say you know, maybe not actors in general. Uh, but anyway, number four, May December for me. And just lastly, again, Charles Melton. Oof, uh, very good. Incredible. Very good. Incredible. My number four, uh, it, it wasn't a bomb, but there was a bomb. <laughs> and it is Oppenheimer. Oh, oh, oh. That is that's, higher on your that's list. Higher on my okay, list. I figured we were going to do that. Yes. Okay. All right. My number four is Past Lives. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. All right. We'll definitely be talking about that <laughs> Next one later. round. In another lifetime. Right, yeah. right, right. We got Joe's number four. All right. So, number three. Dalton Stewart. Uh, any zone of interest heads in here? Let's go. All Come right. On, we can talk about it a little bit. You guys yeah. are so much more the thir- Yeah. My, the first three movies on my list are really a journey through hell. Uh, <laughs> to, get, to get to some like really fun movies. <laughs> yes. Really nice movies. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that in a second, I guess. Zone of interest. That is a one of a kind. Yeah. One of a kind. Uh, Joe Light, number three. I have Killers at number three. I also have Killers higher on my list. Okay. okay. Laron Chapman. Um, yeah, uh, my number three is, is one is, yeah, it's higher up too. Wow. Number three, a lot of overlap in here. 
my number three film. It's a it's a bit of a bomb. <laughs> not at the box. Not office. at the box office. I'm talking, of course, about Oppenheimer. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Nothing in our research over three years supports that conclusion, except it's the most remote possibility. How remote? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? <laughs> zero would be nice. So, Laurent, you said this was what your number four movie? Number four. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so I'm gonna gush on it here in a second. What, what, what did you like about the film? I just didn't expect to care about this subject in in you know a, a three hour. I was kind of like you know it's Nolan though, so I was like that was the only thing intriguing me. I was like, no, he's not gonna just do this stagey. You know what I mean? Kind of like it's gonna have some some juice to it. And what I love is that I don't think this story would have. I think if this was told in a linear fashion and it was very straightforward, then I don't think it would have worked. I think because he did make it this kind of, it's still a Nolan movie. It's still a puzzle. It still has this um, um, this uh, kinetic energy to it. You know what I mean? That it's just people talking in rooms, but he made that exciting. He made that he made that entertaining. Um, and Killian Murphy being so grounded the entire time. It's not a flashy performance at all, but you constantly know what's going on. You feel the weight of the entire world, you know, on his shoulders. And I just think it's quietly devastating in that way about how, you know, we get so wrapped up in the mechanics of everything, but that we don't look at the reek of havoc that's going to happen, you know, when all this is said and done. So there's kind of a through line with a lot of the movies this year, um, in thematically. So, yeah. Yeah. What I love about this movie is it's, yeah, it's a, it's a three hour movie about people talking in rooms. It's been said on the internet a bunch and man, I, Christopher Nolan knows how to make it move at a brisk pace. So I got the, the 4k and I, I wasn't going to watch the three hour movie, but I was like, I wonder what this looks like. So I'm just going to pop it on for 15 just to give it a go look. And I got sucked in and watched like 45 minutes of this movie (laughs) before I was like, Oh crap, I need to go do something else just because uh, again, no one I think has honed this craft, uh, of especially in the editing room in terms of how he paces these very nonlinear stories so that you're just captivated and grabbed from minute one. Uh, I love this ensemble cast, uh, across the board, um, Killian Murphy obviously being the, the huge anchor uh, that, that kind of makes you wonder about what is actually going on in this guy's head. What does he really believe? Uh, you know, we talk about I've I've laid that critique on a couple of other biopics this year about how I don't feel like I have a good sense of what these mm-hmm. individuals are about. I don't know that I fully understand what Oppenheimer's about, but I can tell you that he's trying to do what's right by science in a way that is palpable to the big guys and the government and is uh, the, the people who are sort of fitting the bill. And uh, I think my takeaway from the movie is that anytime you are innovating and creating new tools, you have to come to terms with the fact that, that thing you make isn't yours and the consequences it will have on the world writ large go so far beyond what you can even comprehend. Uh, and I'm thinking, what he created was amazing. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But it was what a feat it did of science. was devastating and horrible. Right. Well, I mean, it opened so. up an entire other avenue for uh, energy. I mean, outside yeah. of just the, the bomb, but obviously it's terrifying. And I don't think it's so far away from what we've seen in Silicon Valley over the last couple of years related to generative AI. This is a tool that I'm not trying to be doom or gloom, but I, it can't, it's not going to be stopped. It's more of a, how do we figure out how to put 
legislation really and, and parameters around how it works, but not you, you can't, the innovation is out there, the technology will be used. You cannot put uh, the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. And so I found Oppenheimer to be particularly timely in, in that sort of way when we think about all these new technologies emerging every day uh, that are constantly reshaping the world that we live in. I, I my favorite my favorite read on Oppenheimer though has to be I still laugh about it when I think about it. How this is Christopher Nolan working out the fact that he killed cinema with a good Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the metaphor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, I don't know. Great time. Not not a perfect film. Uh, Dalton, you, you mentioned uh, Emily Blunt getting the short end of the stick. Uh, I would not disagree. She with, got with some good scene though. She does get some good stuff. You think? I mean that 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 moment is still a moment. She is thrown heat. Yeah, that's true. But she's not good in terms of total screen time and yeah. like role. And it the, could be fleshed out more yeah, for sure. Certainly, it's the weightier themes in this one take precedence over even the people. But I, I get what you're saying in general about his his. Yeah, I mean, there's there's I've, we've we've he's had, got blind, we've, talk, we've talked about I think yeah. on the podcast about this. His, he's got blind uh, spots. We had a long conversation about Oppenheimer. We did, sure. <laughs> and uh, he has blind spots. And one could be argued uh, that uh, you know I, I was in fact I got in a. Uh, I, I, pro I provoked this and brought this on myself or, or and and for some reason brought this on my friends. Uh, we were talking about the lack of the Japanese perspective and like, I think that's a fair criticism, but it's like, how do you handle that? Because I sure as hell don't want Christopher Nolan move, making a movie about the Japanese perspective on the bombing of Hiroshima. This is the year I learned historical biopics are really hard. They're mm -hmm. really hard. They're hard to do. Yeah. Do yeah. right by everybody. Do right by everyone. Yeah. You can be right by a person or a perspective, but yeah, because even even Scorsese is getting heat for for and he worked directly the with the Osage leadership. I, I give him a pass because we know all of the work he did to make sure he would avoid that criticism, and he still didn't entirely. But I still saw that. I with Nolan, I don't think there was much of a a true interest in no. in doing so. I don't so think that's so. so I can say it probably. I think it would have benefited from having it, but that said, big timely ideas uh, done really flashy fashion, and even though it's just people talking in rooms, made it really, really engaging and a really uh, outstanding theatrical going experience. And hey, I'm gonna watch it again. So, kudos to Oppenheimer. Number two list, the Laron. What is your number two? So my number two is Anatomy of a Fall. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry, but I don't know. You, you, you come here. Okay, with your maybe your opinion, and you tell me who Samuel was and what we were going through. But what you say is just uh, it is just a little part of the whole situation, you know. I mean, sometimes, sometimes a couple is kind of a chaos, and everybody is lost, no. And sometimes we fight together, and sometimes we fight alone, and sometimes we, we fight against each other. That happens. And I think it's possible that Samuel needed to see things the way you described them, but if, if I'd been seeing a therapist, he could stand here too and say very ugly things about Samuel, but would those things be true? Laurent Chapman's number two, my I'm number so four. I'm so glad it made both your fives, because, yeah, it just narrowly got screwed <laughs> up mine. I like this movie a lot. It is an interrogation 
of the truth. It is the interrogation of the complexity of relationships. It is an interrogation of the complexity of law. Mm -hmm. um, people who say life's just, just overcomplicating it need to go watch this movie and be like, you know, actually some things are just that complicated and it's unfair to boil it down. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes cases aren't clear. Sometimes yeah. the truth is a lot squishier. Sometimes both things can be true. Sometimes neither thing can be true. What does Natalie Portman say in May, December? It's the moral gray area that I'm interested <laughs> in exploring. <laughs> but at the end of the day, there are humans who are constantly victimized yeah. by our instinct as humans to boil things down and oversimplify. It's the perfect antidote to me to cancel culture in terms of like finding nuance to the conversation yes, let's have the hard conversation. Let's interrogate this person and make sure that this didn't, you know, certain things, aspects of this didn't happen. But also let's not just remove the entire humanity of this human being and understand that they're not complex and that maybe there's things we're not reading into, you know, and, and it, it just has that dialogue. Um, it does that dialogue so well throughout the process because one moment I'm I'm defending her and one moment I'm not. One moment I'm like, yeah, well, I could see where it makes a compelling case either way. Mm -hmm. And I love that the movie just, you know, that is all the whole movie is that conversation mm -hmm. all the way up to the end. It's still you're still like, hmm. And, and the thing I love about it is it's a conversation. And again, uh, I think it's tempting to think, oh, the, the question that the movie is trying to answer is, is she, did she do it or not? But I really don't find that to be the least interesting Aspect question of, of the movie. Yeah. It's really more about learning about how she has come into adulthood and how her adult relationship has evolved, how she ended up in this country where she doesn't speak the native language mm -hmm. um, based on compromises that she made with her partner who she fell out of love with. And what, yeah. were, what, what were his shortcomings? And also how can tragedy Influence, influence and things. shape people the, the relationships you have yeah. and um yeah just man i mean one of the great romantic relationship arguments of all time mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. that scene absolutely Whew, such mm -hmm. a good scene because i mean up to that point i could have gone either way with her yeah yeah and in that moment i'm like well i actually see both of y'all's yeah. points it's yeah. kind of like when you're in an argument with your spouse yeah I don't have many of those. Um, <laughs> Never. Well, it, I was going to say, yeah, we're all married here. I'm sure we've yeah. all been in an argument where you're like, but no, my thing. But my thing. But what, <laughs> but what about real. how I feel? And yeah. it's not it's, it's not invalidating the other person's feelings, but there's there's that area in the middle. You gotta you gotta come. You know, otherwise you're just you're it, it's all ego it becomes. You know, you have if you love this person, you have to care about how they feel and how they are affected by the things you do too. And it does, it deals with that very, very beautifully in a way that makes it very complicated mm -hmm. to deal with this horrible thing that happened that now that we really don't know what happened or mm -hmm. how it happened mm -hmm. or how it came to be, what the intention was, wasn't an accident. And I, I love that. I love the conversation more than a, than a straightforward answer because a straightforward answer would have been unsatisfying because there was too many things working in different ways. It know. is, of course, fun to go to didchedoit.com after the movie. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I submitted, yeah, yeah. I submitted an explanation for myself. Yeah. Nice. Yes. While I found that to be the least interesting question the movie is asking, the conversation around it, yeah. being about this movie in particular, is super fun. Just to see, to read, hear what other people's read on the material is. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and also how it kind of showcases also how we bring our own biases to how we read the character. Uh, yeah. Sandra Huller. Fantastic. Harrowing oh performance. Gosh. What a year. What an incredible year for her. Year yeah. for her. Uh, and easily, I mean, we're, I know we're going to talk about Zone of Interest in a bit. I just to be on board with the Palm Door winner this year. Yeah. Uh, after last year. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, Anatomy of a Fall. I, I can't say anything like better things about it. Go see it. It's a if it, it's just a beautiful. I think it's on digital now, right? It, uh, it is available so. VOD. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It is a beautiful exploration of the human condition and relationships and truth. Yeah, Laurent, anything else you want to add? Go see it. Go see it. Go see it or rent it. However you can. Fantastic. So Laurent's number two, Anatomy of a Fall. Joe Light, what is your number two? My two is holdovers. I can tell by your faces that many of you are shocked at the outcome. I, on the other hand, am not, because I have had the misfortune of teaching you this semester. And even with my ocular limitations, I witness firsthand your glazed, uncomprehending expressions. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. No, it's... Uh, I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. I'm supposed to go to Cornell. Unlikely. I did not expect to weep as much as I did in that film. I think everyone in it is so stellar. I've also seen a lot of commentary about how all the boys are cast so well. You don't have one Instagram face in the bunch. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I was on board from the start seeing the the old title cards the graininess, though the way it shot, the is, music, the, yeah, the soundtrack is great yeah, too. It's yeah. so like it was such a surprise from the very beginning, and it just didn't fail to deliver for me. That trying to look like analog when you shot on digital thing can be so annoying, and it like works so well. Mm-hmm. They just did such a good job of of really kind of giving it uh, an analog feel without you know, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm just so on board with the look of that movie, yeah. and it could, could have easily not worked out. I just, I expected to like this movie. I did not expect to love this movie, and I really, I just genuinely did. And it, it's one, if I've got to think of some of my best theater experiences, I had a great time Oppenheimer weekend, but this movie did something else for me, you know? And so, um, and it's just nice to have a quality holiday film to actually watch every year. And that's, that's not, I mean, I like home alone as much as, as anyone else, you know, like, but it, it's nice to have something to add to the canon. Like this, this is up there now with love actually. And all the other ones I, I kind of frequent during the holiday season. Holdovers. That's the little movie that could both at the box office and, uh, in this award season, because, uh, when the trailers came out, I was skeptical, as you recall, uh, just because of uh, downsizing. downsizing. You know, the, and then they did a staggered release, which I was also skeptical of, but it's really paid off for them. Lots of positive word of mouth. And I mean, Paul Giamatti is a front runner uh, for best actor at the Oscars this year. I, I'm not sure if he's going to get it, but he's yeah. definitely in that conversation. I'd love to see it. Closing handshake, one of the most mm. effective interactions, oh. I think, between two characters this year. Yeah. Heart yeah. Uh, still. Yeah, I, I would have you all know I'm going to watch this as soon as we leave here. I, yeah. I, bought, the, yeah. I bought the Blu-ray today, so I Craig need, hasn't I seen it. I need to buy it still. So I have I to buy be. that as well. If I hadn't made Becca watch it with me on New Year's Day <laughs> for my second watch, yeah, I'd be watching it again tonight. Oh, best insult of the year, Paul Giamatti. Oh, yeah. Penis yeah. cancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Peacock right now for anybody listening. So oh, there you go. Free. Go see it. Go check it out. Dalton Stewart, you're number two. I didn't get to talk with you about this film because of travel complications. So it's been months and months and months of waiting, Caleb. I know what this is. To say to you, John Wick Chapter 4. <laughs> Let's go! Is one of the best films that human beings have ever committed to celluloid. <laughs> yes! You come here thinking there is a way out of this world for you, Mr. Wick. There is not. The song Très Pompidou. Sacre 
Sacré-Cœur. Weapons. If you win, the table will honor its word. You will have your freedom. But you won't take it. Blades. Pistols. Dueling pistols. 30 paces. In the event that both parties survive, each will approach the other at increments of 10 paces until only one remains. I just, guys, I love stunts. I fucking love stunts and I love dancing and I like it when bodies are in motion in a wide shot and this movie gives it to me. I like I like neon lit stuff. Mm -hmm. I like it when it's damp. I like it when there's art in the background. This movie just does it all. It's so <laughs> cool. And Keanu Reeves, one of the true warriors for cinema, you know, yes. in the lineage of Buster Keaton. Uh, this I love that three and four of this franchise like lean into their humor a lot more mm -hmm. and really kind of embrace how silly the world they've built is while still taking it seriously and not undercutting every damn thing with a joke like a Marvel movie. Uh, and again, like the, the degree to which they like do really dangerous seeming stuff and like find really clever ways to make it safe. You know, Stahelski having been a stunt uh, on the stunt team for the crow where Brandon Lee died, like he takes safety so seriously. And like when you see the behind the scenes stuff of like, Oh, actually all those guys that look like they got hit by cars got like kind of bumped by a car that had like crash pads taped to it. Like, mm -hmm. so they're all like taking these huge looking hits and they're finding all these ways to like mm -hmm. do things in camera, but keep people safe. And like, that's how we should use CGI is to like mm -hmm. hide the artifice, hide mm -hmm. the way that like we did something that seems impossible like yeah. that you could have captured it. Uh, just a beautiful film and a really hard, really hard to make a three hour long action movie. That's difficult to sustain yeah. that that energy for that amount of time and to like still like make room for character and plot. It, it's, it's a difficult needle to thread. And I just, I'm so enamored with this movie. I mean, I like all of these movies, but I think four is sort of, if you can get past, I know like a lot of people love how stripped down one is, and that's sort of the gold standard for them. But for me, like I like how operatic the world gets. I like how silly the rules get. I, I just think this it is, the culmination of, you know, 10 years of, of really great action filmmaking that redefined action filmmaking across Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I mean, 87 11 productions are one of the biggest names in stunts now because of these movies. And it's just so exciting to like see them real. I mean, again, there's the whole Paris sequence from the, the mm -hmm. Arc de Triumph to the, the house with the flame throwing shotgun to <laughs> uh, the soccer, uh, it's just like nonstop for 45 minutes at the end of the movie. And you're just like, you, what, what are you showing me now? Are you kidding me? There's more. And, yeah. Any movie would be an A plus movie for having any one of those set pieces right. Right. and the climax. Right. Yeah. And we got all of them. Yeah. And, and in a year when like mission impossible and Indiana Jones made those franchises made some of the most expensive films ever made. And the fact that they made this, I think just add a hundred million. Maybe even sub a hundred million. Yeah, I like think it's Lion, Lionsgate is still like a smallish studio, and and to see them have like one of the biggest hits of the year is pretty sick. I mean, again, like people coming out for an R-rated action movie in droves is is just exciting. Mm -hmm. Is this movie about anything? 
Yes, but you got to stretch. <laughs> um, okay. And I exactly like sometimes, not every movie has to be some sort of like life altering. Well, I, sometimes I change, you should bring more of yourself to it, right? You yeah. should have to choose what it's about, mm. right? And for me, it's about like choosing to get up again every day. Oh my gosh, him falling down the stairs a million times. Oh, is one of the best things I've ever seen. It's great stuff. And then and then the scene where Donnie Yen walks over and helps him out. See, mm-hmm. just feels. to do it, just to do he's it all so again. Donnie Yen is an unsung. He he's up for. He should have been the Bob Him, and Frick winner. Scott Atkins. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I tried not to do anything on my five, uh, but I could have put Scott Atkins, the Bob Frick, or Donnie. I mean, like, ever. And Shamir is also great. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone is so good in this movie from, like, first, you know, new names to people we've known for decades. Everybody knows what movie they're in. Skarsgård? Come on. Oh, yeah. yeah the suits. Yeah. The, oh, the suits are so, so good. Oh, my God. It fits. Yeah. And he's such a smarmy dick. He's mm-hmm. so funny in it. Uh, I could go on about this movie, so I'll shut up now. Uh, yeah, John Wick four. It never it was never in my top five, but John Wick uh, has moved up and down my top ten several times, and it is in my top tens. I don't know how they can possibly top it if they decide to do a five. But uh, Matt, I, heard, I hope they don't. I, I do too. Yeah, go ahead. I really hope they don't. Yeah, I think th- I can't overstate how much I hope they don't. Right. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, John Wick Chapter Four. What a pick. I love that movie. Probably one of the movies from this year I will rewatch the most. No doubt. Yeah. My number two film is one Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. Mahito. So. You made it. Mother. Have a seat. It's this way, Mahito. A lot of strange things happen in this place. Please join us. I just hope you stay safe. Save me. Save me, Mahito. What exactly are you? <laughs> your mother. She's awaiting your rescue. I'll be your guide. Laurent, I told you, I said, hey, uh, I don't know if I, I'm quite on masterpiece status for this when we did our review. I, I since saw the film again and uh, have slept on it. And I think this thing's a goddamn masterpiece. <laughs> Is it his best movie? I don't know if it's his best movie, but it has a lot on its mind. It's a multi-layered, multifaceted, highly personal story. Miyazaki basically coming to terms with the end of his life, coming to terms with the fact that the world is from his perspective, in a worse place than when he came into it. And yet, he is so committed to offering an avenue for the next generation to bring their own touch to it, to find a way to make it better, um, to find a way to realize their reality in a way better than he was able to. And I I think, like I said in our review, it works on a lot of levels. It works for this very highly personalized conversation between him, his son, and or his grandson. It works for kind of how his perspective perspective with what's going to happen to Studio Ghibli after he's gone. And I think it works uh, in a conversation with the audience of, Hey, my generation, we came in and we we did the best we could. We kept rebuilding this world and we made it what it what it is, but it's all about to topple over. Mm-hmm. And what are we gonna do now? Yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. And I, I really saw this as a surprisingly effective follow-up to The Wind Rises, a movie they, that I already thought was sort of the perfect way to wrap up and conclude his his career. And on top of that, the whimsy, the fantasy, the animation. Oh, my God. It's a beautiful yeah. movie with my favorite score. Uh, well, second favorite score behind Daniel Pemberton uh, uh, of the year. It's cinema. And yeah. the fact that we were able to get a movie 
hand-drawn animated that looks this good about something that's so confounding initially mm-hmm. is just incredible and a another real movie blessing. that did successfully well on the on the box office made did. number made number one. So that's also a surprise yeah. hit for an anime film. So. Absolutely, first non so first anime not based on like a series or whatever to uh, open number one at the box office. Uh, check it out; it doesn't disappoint. I don't know if it'll be your favorite Hayao Miyazaki movie, but it certainly will be one you won't forget, and it's going to be one. For me, at least, that uh, I'm going to be thinking about for for years to come, and I maintain I'd be interested to see. I feel like this this one's probably going to be taught in his. Uh, if there is a class on Hayao Miyazaki or uh, you know Japanese animation, I feel like this would definitely be among the the syllabus for it. It's a great culmination of his work. One of my favorite sound bites online is uh, Keanu Reeves going, "But it's cinema." And then Chad Stahelski goes, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about the entire time you were talking about Boy and Air. Yes. Just like, yeah. And, you know, obviously, because I just got done talking about John Wick 4. But yeah, man, that movie. No, it's 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 got everything you yeah. want in the cinema, you know. And it, it, even when you're not sure what it's saying, you're like, I don't know, but it's beautiful mm-hmm. and overwhelming. So Boy and the Hair, my number two. Laron Chapman, what is your number one movie? So my number one pick um, is actually surprising to me. Um, it's one that three of us saw together, and it is called Poor Things. These two are fighting, and ideas are banging around in Bella's head and heart like lights in a storm. Oh. You're always reading now, Bella. You're losing some of your adorable way of speaking. I'm a changingable feast, as are all of we. Apparently, according to Emerson, disagreed with by Harry. Come, come, just come. You're in my son. What? I'm going to tell you this. I went and saw it again, and I'm not a Yorgos like, like I like his films, mm-hmm. but I don't think I've loved any of his films outside of maybe The Favorite, which was for different reasons than, than people even go to that type of movie. Um, but I loved Poor Things, the imagination in Poor Things. I loved how the cynicism that he normally brings to his movies was absent. You know, this felt like a lust for life sort of thing. It's like a very fuzzy movie for him. Yeah, yeah. it is cozy, like in a weird yeah. way, even though it's very, even though it's very strange. And um, but I just think that it has some, 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 some really bold ideas that it's presenting in a very imaginative way. It's exciting to look at. It's exciting. The performances are exciting and interesting. Mm. Oh, everyone's great in that. Everyone's movie. layered and like I just Bella Baxter is like one of my favorite characters ever now. Mm. You know, like so I just like curious. Like I was so excited to see it a second time to just see like if it was cementing my my opinions on it. But. Um, Emma After Stone's s- toddler walk, like one of the funniest things. Of just the year. insane. And when they, she talks about it in, in the actors roundtable about how, like, how'd you prepare for this? She's like, well, there's no precedent for it because, you know, like babies are developing like their their bodies and their bones and stuff aren't quite right. She's a fully developed woman. So there's that doesn't work. You know what I mean? So there's just so many different. She's like, I had nothing. So we literally just experimented and. What you get feels, you know, yeah. feels that's why I feel so fresh and alive. And I think the performances are so good. The costume design is 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 great. The cinematography is great. It's just the production design. It's just such a a marvel, a feast, you know, uh, for the eyes and mm. the senses. Mm. So, and you know, movies, a movie again with very explicit sex where it doesn't feel gratuitous to me. Mm-hmm. It feels very much inter- integral to that character and what this story is saying about life and the human condition and, and experience. And so, um, 
and I and it wasn't the movie I thought I was going to bump up on my list, but on a second viewing, I I definitely love it. Very nice. Yeah. Poor things. things. Ron Chapman's number one movie of this year. Joe Light, what is your number one movie? Zone of Interest. Which I don't know if that yours. Uh, no, it was, no, my, number it was number three. It was my number three. Okay. But yeah, I was holding off till you got to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, what a movie, right? Uh, it's just stunning. Talk it about a... total cinema, baby. Oh my gosh. It is a hard movie to watch. Yeah. It's it's just such a a different, I think, and I don't know if necessary is the word. I, I read a really interesting review on Letterboxd of someone saying, like, this type of story shouldn't necessarily be entertainment. And it was mm-hmm. sort of like contrasting it with Schindler's List, another movie I actually love. But their commentary was like, Schindler's List is a little bit, it, it, it's sort of playing into that idea of like, this is entertainment, mm-hmm. this is for mm-hmm. the masses, and this is a film that is not it doesn't want it doesn't want that at all amazing performances again amazing uh, cinematography uh sound design the sound design uh, best the sound design of the year that's yeah, easily yeah it, it is just such an interesting look at a very very bad situation yeah new perspectives that i think again i don't know that necessary is the word but it, it does provide such a stark, sickening viewpoint of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and for viewers that aren't aren't familiar, this is the story of a Nazi family that uh, is uh, in charge of uh, Auschwitz at the time uh, of the war. And you get this perspective of them going through their daily lives and and the way they're able to focus on their their little internal struggles, their their meaningless little mm-hmm. familial drama while outside people are literally dying like every second. And it's, yeah, it's a yeah. family drama that takes place next door to hell. Yeah. It's wild. It is just it's just a stunning film. Yeah. Like huh. uh, and it, it it shot up to one of my favorites, I think, of all time, just after one viewing. And I I definitely want to revisit it, probably not super soon, but <laughs> um I think just just the idea, the execution, the the way that the story is told is so fascinating to me. Yeah, when it gets released theatrically here, I, I'm going to go see it again. Uh, but I definitely want to take a break before yeah. I rewatch because it, it's tough. It's it's really brutal. Um, I think the thing that I really like about it is it's almost in the transcendental filmmaking school mm-hmm. in that like, but it's like the Paul Schrader kind of style of doing it where every once in a while you really pull out some crazy, like real flourishy, big swing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the camera's so locked down, mm-hmm. so just grounded. And then every once in a while, Jonathan Glazer comes out and is like, 
big choice. Mm -hmm. And the one that I I keep telling people about, because I think it's, I I don't want to spoil too many of the great choices because they're, they're really interesting. It's really exciting to see. It's weird to call this film exciting, but it it pulls you along with its choices in in such a a compelling way that I don't want to spoil too much. But the one that I I keep telling people about is um, this uh, Polish girl who like works in the house as a housekeeper um, and is, you know, next door to all this terrible stuff all day, every day, and like having to put up with this fucking Nazi and his really intense wife. Uh, she like hides apples for the workers at mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. and they shoot it with like, it looks like zero dark 30, like yeah. shoot yeah. with an infrared camera and she's yeah. like just hiding apples next to a mass grave. And it's like the most thrilling thing you've ever seen. And it's mm-hmm. like just, just one of many very interesting flourishes the movie deploys to like, anytime you're like starting to kind of find yourself drifting away from the film, it gets you back in and like does some crazy stuff like that. And again, like the sound design, which you've already mentioned is, you know, just gunshots off in the distance constantly screams. and just screams. Yeah. Oh God, the screams. Uh, and this, you know, even the, the visual effects are like really good, really understated, really subtle. Just, you know, the, the image of the camp in the background is so haunting and just like, so important for that to look good and for you not to be able to see the digital seams. Uh, and just, you can see the uh, smokestacks from smoke the trains mm-hmm. when they come in. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the crematory once that gets going. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, so it's, I know this sounds really intense if you don't know, if you haven't seen the movie, but it's, it's interesting f- as a Holocaust drama because it never shows you any explicit violence. It's mm-hmm. all inferred. It's mm-hmm. all just out of frame. And I think that, I, I like that you, you bring up this review that kind of mentioned, you know, Schindler's List is like, you know, Spielberg can't help but be a conventionally entertaining guy, mm-hmm. I think. And it's got to have a hero and it's got to have a noble arc. The closest thing you get to a heroic arc in this movie is Rudolf Hess has a moment where he thinks, oh, maybe maybe I am the baddie, actually. And it's just like, that's kind of the end of the movie. It's mm-hmm. It's just sort of this like one tiny moment of like, this person lets the facade crack and you can see that there is a human being hiding in there somewhere and he's just, he's just killed it. He's just shoved it so far down. It's gone. And it's, it's just a haunting movie. And uh, I don't know without getting too political, which we've hinted at a couple of times on this episode, I just always worried about this weird country teetering on the edge of another genocide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think this, this movie is a, uh, we talk a lot about the banality of evil, especially in Holocaust discussions, but especially this year with killers of the flower moon as well. You know, we, throw around that fit phrase a lot. And this is a movie that like does a really good job of explaining that in, you know, in, with cinema and like yeah. showing you what that is and showing you what that looks like. Yeah. Related to that, my, my main takeaway from this film, uh, I, I thought for me, it's a one-time watcher. I might see it on the big screen again when it, when it comes around, but I, I don't, I, if this feels like one, I, I feel like is highly useful in an academic environment mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, but I do think people who are curious should see it. The question that I've been thinking about since I finished it though, and kind of speaks to how, what the film does best, which is I'm wondering how many things am I doing currently that are actually mm-hmm. really terrible mm-hmm. yeah. and are hurting someone else so yeah. bad yep. that I just take for granted because the whole movie they're doing, they're just living their life. They don't see anything wrong with what they're doing. He's talking about how to, become more efficient and make his machines mm-hmm. more efficient at killing people. And it's just treated with such cold callousness. Like it's just another job, you mm-hmm. know? And it makes me think, and you know, turning, thinking about what's this look like in 2023 as a viewer, I'm thinking what horrible things am I participating yeah. in that are probably yeah. not too far off of what he's doing in the film. That is also the takeaway I got from mm-hmm. it. And I think the, when you said the banality of evil, but also just taking this space and the more human, 
you make these people, the more haunting I actually found the film to be. 100%. Absolutely. Because it made me think about my own complicity in other aspects. Like, am I doing, am I like turning a blind eye to the plight of other people in other scenarios? And I'm just as bad, but I feel removed from it because that's not my problem. That's not my thing. Or that's how the world is. Or we don't have to be better or try harder. You know what I mean? Like, it's showing you Nazis, but I think it's showing like how the human condition works. Yeah, we see Nazis as like scary villains so often, yeah. and it's reminding you like these are just people. Dude. Yeah, just living their life as ordinary. Just, oh, here in my ro- here's my rose garden. Like just yeah. like running. He's just running this camp. It's his job. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, he just wants yeah. to go fish on the weekends. It's Not, very reflective in that way. Yeah. Not to go super film nerd too, but has anyone seen The Conformist? Mm-mm. No, okay. I'm familiar with it. But yeah, I it's seen an it. Italian film from 1970, which is. It, it felt very similar to me because it the visuals of that film are amazing. It's about this guy, he's like a bureaucrat essentially, who gets absorbed into fascism and 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 what that does to him mm-hmm. as like a person and basically as like a hem- an empty human being. Um, a stunning film. If you wanted a really really intense double feature, I would I would say that would be that would those would be the films to pair probably because they explore this yeah they're not holding your hand or, yeah. or pandering to you yeah. it's like let's just see it for what it is well, again it's not uh, it, what you what you bring to the movie is probably more important than the movie itself and mm-hmm. and how you read it at least yeah that is Joe's number one. Dalton, you said your number two? My number three. Number three. Yeah, number two. John Wick, of course. Dalton Stewart, what is your number one film of the year? My number one film of the year. Thank God. Some some niceness, some kindness, some gentleness. <laughs> Man, we had to go through a lot to get there. <laughs> <laughs> we had to go through a lot to get here. But here we are at Celine Song's Past Lives. There's a word in Korean. Inyan. Providence or fate. But it's specifically about relationships between people. I think it comes from Buddhism and reincarnation. It's an inyan if two strangers even walk by each other in the street and their clothes accidentally brush because it means there must have been something between them in their past lives. If two people get married, they say it's because there have been 8,000 layers of inyan over 8,000 lifetimes. We're feeling nice. We're feeling good. We're thinking about love. Are we feeling good though? Yeah. It's and well, that's the thing. Sad. It's <laughs> also very sad. It's but bittersweet. Love's sad. It's bittersweet. You know, life is bittersweet, and I think that's what this movie's like. Again, I'm I'm a huge sucker for the Before Sunrise film. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is like very much in that coaching tree. Absolutely. So I was kind of on board for this from the get go. But it's just like the filmmaking is so. I can't wait to see this movie again. I've been putting off my second watch, but I it just was down bad for it <laughs> from the opening moments. I was just like, this is so good. It And it just like keeps unfolding. I know some people are kind of out on this, find the structure a little contrived. For me, it totally works. I, I think, you know, just sort of cleanly breaking it up into three acts at, you know, roughly 12 years apart. Um, I, I just think works really well. Uh, and man, my John McGarrow, probably my supporting performance of the year for, for this and showing up. I think he's great in both mm-hmm. films. Um, 
like yeah, everybody's so good in this movie. Um, it, and it really does live and die on its performances because you, you've got to believe these relationships and, and the movie really sells them. Um, you know, that opening is so clever. The, 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 the strangers watching um, the couple and, well, the three of them at the bar at the beginning of the movie. And you've got this, this these people kind of wondering about what their deal is and then using that to sort of set up the exploration of how, how did these three people get to this bar in New York, you know, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And it just it, truly a devastating ending, but like one that feels really reaffirming in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like gentle in, in the way that it breaks your heart, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it, and it make the things that it'll like make you think about in your own life, I think are, are really valuable. And, you know, just this, you know, the choices we make, you know, fate versus, you know, choice, you know, the really sort of the stuff we make movies to explore really. I, I think it's got it all while still being just like a very grounded, sensitive relationship drama. And again, we we joked around a, a lot about like sex being back in movies, but like relationships are back in movies. Like, yeah. you know, what what does it take to be in a romantic relationship with somebody? Like, what are you committing to and and exploring, you know, the the ones that got away, exploring, you know, mm. what you choose to do with your life and and the the limitations that's going to necessarily, you know, the the doors you close by making any one given choice. Yeah, uh, it's just got it all. Yeah, I. I freaking love this movie. Uh, who, who else had it on their list? It was mine. It was my number, yeah, okay. my number, four. number four. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you, you, you said it all pretty well. I think the, the biggest thing, my, my big take on this movie is guy in my 30s, uh, you know, not getting any younger, not not old, but also not not young as I once was. You're starting to think about things like what are the lives you didn't live mm-hmm. for the decisions you decided not to make or were made for you previously. And there is something beautiful about how you've been able to find joy in the life you do have. But there's also this deep sadness that creeps up from time to time, especially when you, you reconnect with an old colleague, old friend, childhood friend, whoever it may be relationship where you have that moment where you're like the life I could have had, but didn't. And what, what would that have looked like? It's, it's beautiful. It's sad. It's It's sweet. Yeah. It's got what we wanted to this kind of small intimate thing, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. like super specific in a way that allows it to be universal. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, you know, it's, it's the Ebert, the Roger Ebert thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the machine that generates empathy. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's right. It's boom. And mm. it's so important that she has that, that, that we acknowledge that she is happy in the relationship she is in as well. Yeah. You know? There's and no bad guys here. Cause honestly, and they, 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 they hint at it in the dialogue in the movie, you know, like I, in a lesser, I would be the jealous, whatever, you know, lesser boyfriend, you know, whatever. And I felt like, but that's what's so melancholy about it is you're not. I'm actually happy in this relationship. I just have these other emotions and these other. And he's so gracious and and giving, you know, about that and understanding about that. Probably because he's probably had it in his own life. But, you know, just the understanding of that. And so I thought that was just, yeah, very poignant. The movie, like you said, creeps up on you because mm-hmm. I was watching and I was like, everyone said they sobbed during this movie. And I'm like, like, I got some some things going on as I'm watching it. But the final scene, I was like... Oh, it's a heartbreaker. I was like, yeah. oh, this has been in my chest the whole time. And that moment it was like the mm-hmm. boop. I mean, and from <laughs> so, a technique standpoint, that's just filmmaking. That tracking mm-hmm, shot yeah. is... Mm-hmm. And good on Greta Lee. Like people are, I've heard some people say that her performance is... Uh, they've been comparing it to Lily Gladstone in a lot of ways and mm. the subtleties of mm. like it's a lot more about what she's not saying because she isn't saying a lot. She's, she's like holding her composure that entire film and 
that final breakdown is so powerful because she did that. And that's that's undercurrent. I can't stop thinking about that moment, honestly. Yeah. It's so good. It is probably one of the most beautiful and bittersweet moments of last year, hands down. And just an actor I think of as like somebody that's super funny. So seeing Greta Lee get to do something so outside of what I've seen her do so mm-hmm. far was just, that's mm-hmm. just awesome. I, lo- I love getting to see an actor really get to Cause she's normally like the sassy, like, yeah, like exactly. really like catty in a way, like in her personality is that way too. I love, but uh, it was nice seeing her be so understated and mm-hmm. preserved in this. It was great. Yeah. Exactly. Great selection, Dalton. I think that's an amazing number one pick. My number one film is killers of the flower moon. He told me you was, he was going with Matt Williams for a time. You talk too much. Oh, no, I don't talk too much. Just thinking who I got to beat in this horse race, that's all. I didn't realize this was a race. I don't care for watching horses. Well, I'm a different kind of horse. <laughs> What was that? That's how you are. I don't know what she said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. (laughs) (laughs) I went back and forth on this one a little bit. I saw this movie three times in like 10 days. And it's a, it's a three and a half hour long movie about not, the super super happy subject that you turn out to the movies to see typically. Um, and each time I, I kind of honed in on the movie a little bit more And the third time, which I think Dalton actually saw for your birthday, if yep. I'm not mistaken, was when it really locked in for me where, okay, the pacing works, the way characters are utilized works for me. Um, th- this movie is really tough because I honestly, between this and Oppenheimer in 2023, I have learned that historical dramas are very difficult no matter how hard you try. Uh, It doesn't matter who you are or how dedicated you are, because at the end of the day, you're still telling one version of the story. And history is a lot more complex than one particular version. And Marty Scorsese, one of the greatest filmmakers of our time, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. uh, did his damnedest to to tell a well-rounded story as much as a, a white ally could do. And did he tell the Osage story? He did not. What he did tell was a story that I think gave you a, a white person more perspective into what the those people went through at the hands of other white wealthy people who came in and basically took their inherited fortune, inherited from the land uh, that they bought. It's a tough one. But the reason I like it is because people often ask, how could they have gotten away with that? Did, why did no one say anything? Not unlike the zone of interest how does anything this evil, how do people get away with it? Because everyone turns a blind eye and just accepts that it's a normal thing that happens. I mean, there's a line in the movie about how someone's more likely to get convicted for killing a dog than an Osage. Like this is just a cultural thing happening at a large level. And the thing I love that Martin Scorsese is doing, it's something that I think he did really well in silence and the Irishman. He's interrogating systems in silence. He's interrogating faith, Christianity, religion, the role it plays both in his life, but also globally, what are the impacts of trying to go into countries 
and grow a religion that just does not gel with the culture. Uh, with the Irishman, he's really reflecting and interrogating his own career and role in popularizing the gangster genre and, and sort of showing the flip side of the coin where it's not as sexy as it was in Goodfellas, for example. And here I think he's really showing how the systems in America fail and are ill-equipped to support people who are not uh, represented and don't have a seat at the table, people who are not part of the ruling wealthy class who make the rules. This is bringing the conversation into the mainstream uh, in a way that I think is really important. I feel like this movie is uh, entertaining. It's captivating. It's heartbreaking. It's an American story set right in our backyard. Uh, and I do think the filmmaking is unmatched in terms of directing, acting, production design. It's firing on all cylinders. It's a $200 million movie that looks uh, and feels like a $200 million movie. And, and I think it's one that should be uh, hopefully a, conversation starter for people who want to learn more. Does this solve the problem? It absolutely doesn't. Does Marty Scorsese come in like a savior? No, he doesn't. A fact that I think he underscores in the film's closing. That is my number one. Yeah. I mean, it's just outside. Uh, it's my number nine. I think um, another film about the banality of evil, right? Mm -hmm. And just like how easy it is if, if the systems are set up for it to happen, it'll, It'll happen, you know, and you don't have really have to force people to do it. <laughs> you just put them in a position to benefit from it and they'll, they will, will jump at the chance. It's fucked. Um, and as yet, like this, this like kind of beautiful film, like we've got these like flir these very, you know, Marty Scorsese dealing with his, not dealing with, but, you know, continuing to explore spirituality throughout the late part of his career. Um, and just kind of these quiet moments of, you know, communing with nature, these quiet, you know, reflections on a possible afterlife. So like, it's just like these nice moments that sort of punctuate the terror uh, and tragedy that, that kind of run under runs throughout everything. I know there's some people who aren't as hot on this movie because they, they don't see it as a, you know, they don't see the Scorsese that they want to see. But I, I think if you, if you, you know, really sit with the movie, you'll see like Marty being restrained in a way that like, I think, adds to the material, even though if that's not what people kind of expect from his filmmaking style. Um, this one was fighting for my fifth spot all like pretty much all year, mm -hmm. you know, like, and so now I'm just, you know, I went with uplift and did the holdovers, but it is my number six, you know, so um, it's still on my list and definitely one I need to sit with a little bit more. I have, I have certain issues with it, but the power of it can't be denied, you know, and I think by the end of it, you know what I mean? Like I had mixed emotions and maybe that's the point. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I think you're supposed to have mixed emotions you know, coming out of it. I, I feel very much, it's very, very much. I would liken it to Lily Gladstone's character, you know, Molly's the complicated feeling she has for her husband after she learns everything. There is love there and there's, and there's betrayal there and there's anger there, you know, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird mix mixture of those. You can things. still love your neighbors and kill them too. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I mean no, that's no, kind of no, what yeah. the movie's yeah. getting at, you yeah. know. And, and yeah, and, that, but, and by the way, the performances there and the chemistry they had was was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think Lily Gladstone might be the great discovery of 2023 mm -hmm. in terms. Well, of Well, she chemistry. runs away with the movie. Yeah. I think I think everyone's talking about it, even if it's not her. You know, if, if even if they're cool in the movie, they're they 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 pronounce her her character a lot. And when I say great discovery, I mean she's been around doing great sure. work. Certain women was how Scorsese found her, but I mean mm. in terms of how her being 
more in the public eye, mainstream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if she gets the Oscar nomination, it's going to be, she'll be the first indigenous American to be nominated. And I don't know, she's got some strong momentum. There's, so we'll there's, a, there's a narrative and it could work in her favor. Joe, anything you want to add? Uh, it was my number three. I don't know what more I can add. It's, I think, a very important film. I am proud of it as an Oklahoman uh, being made here. Happy to see a lot of uh, local people involved. It's a very good love story that's also a crime film, that's also a, a horror film at times. Definitely one of the year's best. Awesome. If you could go down and rank your one through 10 and kind of net number them, and I'll start with you, LaRon Chapman, go one through 10 for us. One through 10. Number one, Poor Things. Number two, Anatomy of a Fall. Number three, Past Lives. Number four, Oppenheimer. Number five, The Holdovers. Killers of the Flower Moon. All of Us Strangers. May, December. (laughs) (laughs) Barbie and um, Showing Up. All right, Joe Light. Number one, The Zone of Interest. Number two, The Holdovers. Number three, Killers of the Flower Moon. Four, Maestro. And five, Saltburn. Another wild one in here, I think, for most people, um, Mission Impossible, I loved. That was great. I loved that film. It just barely missed my top ten. That felt like cinema to me. So that one, Past Lives, Poor Things, When Evil Lurks, uh, I think it was the best horror film last year. And then Bo was Afraid. Number one, I'm I'm Dalton, by the way. I, I didn't wait for you. I just jumped right in. Sorry. <laughs> uh, number one, Past Lives. Number two, John Wick Chapter Four. Number three, The Zone of Interest. Number four, May December. Number five, Bo is Afraid. Six, Fallen Leaves. Number seven, Anatomy of a Fall. Number eight, The Holdovers. Number nine, Killers of the Flower Moon. Number ten, The Killer. Very nice. So much killing going on this year in titles. Uh, my number one is Killers of the Flower Moon. Number two is The Boy and the Heron. Number three is Oppenheimer. Number four is Past Lives. Number five, Anatomy of a Fall. Number six, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number seven, Barbie. Number eight, Godzilla Minus One. Number nine, Blackberry. And number 10, John Wick Chapter Four. Ladies and gentlemen, those are our top films of 2023. Dalton Stewart, where can listeners keep up with you and all the things you're doing online? Oh, you can find me talking about the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course every single week over at the Good Trash Genre Cast. That is Good Trash, one word. If you put that into a podcatcher, you'll find us. I'm also on Letterboxd, Dollywood Squares. I'm, pre- I'm Dollywood Squares pretty much all over the internet. Uh, you got to drop the A on Letterboxd, though, because they've got, they got character limits on their usernames. What are you going to do? By the time you're hearing this, I'm also still hosting a weekly live show uh, here in Oklahoma City at uh, the Film Row Rodeo Cinema. Uh, Thursdays at 7 o'clock, come see me and actor and comedian Alex Sanchez uh, talk over public domain movies. Star of Bugman. Star of Bugman. That's right. Which yeah. is out now, right? Oh, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. It's on TV? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure where it's at. I just saw them promoting it on Facebook. The other Everybody day. else talk, and I'll, I'll, I'll get the answers. I believe it is. Yes. Joe Light, <laughs> where can people follow you? They can't. Don't find me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I'm only on Letterboxd. JoJo Binks one. Um, and then my writing's on No Film School. I'll be at Sundance. Say hi if you see me. Woo! Um, I'll be writing about movies later this month, I guess. Very cool. LaRon Chapman? Um, you can follow me on Letterboxd, or, um, and you can follow me on my n- the new hub for my reviews at thecinematropolis.com. All right. Fantastic. LaRon, yay. So yay. excited to see you on thecinematropolis.com. It's going to have some good reviews for us in I 2024. I the applause button. I noticed that, oh. too. That was so, Wait. it was very... Oh. <laughs>
I need to do more applause buttons every time. <laughs> no, you're fine. There we go. Of course, you can find me on Letterboxd, uh, Instagram, Twitter, kind of, not really. Uh, C Masters Talk, that's Letter C Masters Talk. Uh, and of course, you can find all of the things we're doing over at thecinematropolis.com. Hey, if you enjoyed the movies we talked about today, I hope you'll go back and check out all the reviews we did in 2023, where we reviewed several of the movies discussed today. All of that can be found uh, at thecinematropolis.com or on your preferred podcast app. Hey, guys, uh, we are taking a break for the rest of January and part of February. Uh, don't worry. We'll be back in time for Oscars predictions. And of course... We'll be back for Dune Part 2. Let the spies flow. Um, but we will be on a break. So if you don't see anything from this feed for a few weeks, if you're not, we are coming back with more reviews, uh, probably about six or so weeks. Until then, Dalton, Joe, Laron, thank you all so much for spending three hours talking about 2023 movies. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. The best. Thanks, thank Caleb. You. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll catch you again next time. <laughs>